Hey, this is Jason A. Hurley, writer of The Beauty, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> that was a good one. No. Cool. no. That, that was a peach. Like, the second one was like Jerry Lewis. This one was Dean Martin. Oh. Wait a minute. So I you're you're elevating it. Dino over Jerry? Oh, hell yeah. Wow. wow. Jerry Lewis was never funny, not once in his entire life. I, <laughs> no, I can't agree with that. Yeah. It'll make you shit. <laughs> when I was a kid, my, my stepfather loved Jerry Lewis, and I feel like we always would watch the movies or rent them. And I just wanted to bludgeon myself. Wow. Uh, are you a Three Stooges fan, too? Hey, the Three Stooges. Uh, how I did, did not I not know that? Oh, I detest them. I did not care for the Three Stooges. Whoop, 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 whoop. Well, you're both here, but that's okay. Yep. It happens. Yep. All right, Honeymooners? I know that's your fave, so I'm going to not be... I'm not going to be discouraged so much. You don't like the Cranmars Mystery Appetizer? No, listen, I, the Honeymooners, I think it's great, and I respect its place, and I don't mind it, but, I mean, I know you always call me the boy, but I, it is that is definitely a generation of that thing. Okay. Like, I don't, even even from a rerun perspective, I, I, I rarely had opportunity to see the Honeymooners. It's probably one of the most politically incorrect shows of all yeah. time. Yeah. Dude, Jackie Gleese is my man. Yeah, love him. The toy, dude. Oh, this is a great movie. Great. He was hobnobbing with Dolly and all the... Loki and the Bandits, son? Yeah, yeah. We're starting off hot this week. This is good. Hey, do you see Drew Moss? Uh, Drew Moss was drawing um, Dom DeLuise as, uh, as uh, Captain Chaos today. <laughs> was so, he really? Uh, one of our listeners, I think, Brandon Lee Alexander, tagged me to it. So I posted my Cannibal Run Jam to, uh, to the post, and Drew was all giddy, so he's going to draw the Burt Reynolds. Sweet. Oh, rad. You're like yep. a master networker. I got I got my uh what is it um what does Varus have uh dap what is it called? His uh in oh. Game of Thrones? Yeah. His, oh, his snakes, his snakes, there? His, his birds, his rats, now what do they have? He's got his bird. You know what I'm talking about, right? He's got his sparrows? Little... Sparrows? Yeah, I got my sparrows, my OA sparrows. It's <laughs> Oh, hey, everybody. Hi, it's 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 495. That clock is. is ticking, and I am Vince B. Oh, you are Vince B. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm David A. Price. Assalamu alaikum, my friends, and I am Carlos Hyde. Okay. Yeah, now you got to do that to the man. Who's Carlos Hyde? He is the starting running back for the San Francisco 49ers. Ah, I don't feel bad not knowing that then. Yes, it is. It's true. You're not Carlos Hyde. You're Jason Wood. Everybody. And you don't need to get paid disgusting amounts of money for just running around on a field to get cheap comics. All you got to do is go to dcbservice.com. That's dcb as in boy, service.com. And reap the rewards of inexpensive comics, such as from Image, 
It's the Gravediggers Union, number one. It's a mature reader's title written, I said written, by Wes Craig. See, we normally associate him on the art side with the Deadly Class joint, but nope, he's writing this time. Wes Craig writes it. Toby Cypress draws it. Ugh. That's the jam. Oh, my goodness. Um, the Power first, couple right there. True. The first issue is cover price three ninety nine, but not for you because you're super smart and go to dcbservice.com. You can have this bad boy for $1.99. Over at Boom, more Planet of the Apes. Always a good thing, but this time, it's King Kong on the Planet of the Apes. It's the Damn Dirty Crossover event you demanded, written by Ryan Ferrer. Art by one of my favorites, Carlos Magno. Cover art by Mike Huddleston. You cannot go wrong. Three ninety nine cover price. Your price, David? Uh, half that. Yes, which would be a dollar ninety nine. And last, but certainly not least, from Titan Comics, it's Minky Woodcock, the girl who handcuffed Houdini. Number one, written and drawn by Cynthia Von Bueller. Anybody? Cover art by David Mack and... I never get... It doesn't get old. (laughs) Cover art by David Mack and... (laughs) and, And Robert McGinnis. Do your homework. 91 years young. Uh, the, uh, $3.99 printed on the cover is not what you're going to pay for this. You will pay 45% of that. No, you, you would get 45% off of that and pay $2.19. Amazing. Discount comic book service does not mind late orders or order editions and you get your books all shipped nice and safe and secure right to the door of your home and or workplace if you do that and get them shipped to work so the wife doesn't see what you buy. But anyway, love it. DCBService.com. That's dope. Hey, Vince, what serendipity that you bring up Robert McGinnis, who, by the way, that cover, I cannot believe that a man at 90 plus years old did that cover, but oh, it's, it's awesome. It's butter. But uh, I put some Robert McGinnis art on our website today. You did? Yep. Did. I did because Mr. Mitch Gerrids not Gerard's, as we often say. Um, And I had a chat, which went up today on 11 o'clock comics. And we were talking, he is, he is a massive fan and acolyte of Norman Rockwell. Mm -hmm. And then we were talking about who else inspires him. And he said, he has been really vibing with uh, the commercial illustration crew, most notably Austin Briggs, Al Parker, Bernie Fuchs, and Robert McGinnis. I so met I Bernie post- Fuchs. Did you know that? You did? I did. Oh, nice. But anyway, and Robert They McGinnis. are all incredible. They are. McGinnis so. is one of the all-time great cover artists. And uh, one of the projects in my class is to do a book cover. And I'm showing the students all this gorgeous Robert McGinnis art. And they're just mm-hmm. like, okay. What? Yeah. I cannot Rah. get I – I'm, I'm sorry to steal the spotlight. I you cannot fail. get a rise out of these kids. This project, uh, current project, is to do an album cover. So I get all up there on my podium, and I'm showing them Roger Dean, Richard Corbin, Bat Out of Hell, um, just uh, this vast array of just great album covers. Wayne Coyne, who is turning into a phenomenal artist, by the way. But anyway, and they're just sitting there like, what? Well, I mean, you know, you probably think this song is about you, so. Yeah, well, there was no Carly Simon in there, unfortunately. (laughs) 
Yeah. All together again. Hey, what Dude, are you drinking? Robert McGinnis, that's Cray. He's phenomenal. No, I mean, it's Cray that they don't understand it, though. No, well, I don't That's get why it. they're there to learn. They're I learn them. I firmly believe if, if you are in, um, uh, if you voluntarily enter a program where you want to learn about art, it, so, so you're dedicating a large chunk of your life and future life to viewing and making art and you see something created that is just so masterfully done and it doesn't get a rise out of you, you shouldn't be in the program. You really shouldn't. You're right. You're right. Right? If, if, if Bad Out of Hell, the Richard Corbin image for Bad Out of Hell, doesn't make you feel something, mm-hmm. then you're dead inside. Get the hell out. It's, right. Go work at McDonald's or something. I, I just don't. And, and it's not me because you know me. I'm, I've been told that my enthusiasm for this stuff is kind of infectious, right? If, if, I, if I can't get these kids all jazzed up, I, I don't know what can. I'm at a loss. I'm, st- I'm stumped. But whatever. I don't know, bro. I'm, I'm working on it. I don't know, bro. So uh, Colin was, was asking me before we recorded, why do you record on Thursdays now? And I said, well, you know, we go back and forth. I said, but Vince is teaching a class at his college this this uh semester so it's easier and then he said oh vince is a college professor i said well part-time he wants to be though i think that'd be something that he'd like to do full-time hell yeah and then he's like he's like does he make all the monies I'm like <laughs> yeah. i'm like i'm like being a college professor you make none of the monies you know i loving it <laughs> you make like, zero oh. like, why did, he goes why does he do it then i'm like because he loves it and mm-hmm. he looks to me blank like i don't get it yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I look like, at I, myself and say why are you doing this and <laughs> i don't know what i wanted did they did did you ever tell them who was who on the shirt? Or they I did, still... and they, they didn't believe me. Beth didn't believe. They all said we're lying. <laughs> well, who do they think is who? They think Dap is me, and I'm Dap in the shirt. Well, because Dap doesn't have glasses, as far as they know, and I do. Oh, I okay. used to. I know. I explained that to them. So everybody's they certain said, hey, that I'm, I'm the me. shirt now. Would assume it's the other way around. Wow. Well, you know what? Maybe we should hit up Awesome Andy for a, a, a retcon. May have. Yeah. Ooh. I know that uh, tattoos aren't necessarily uh, why our listeners tune in, but in a way, our tattoos are directly intertwined with our comic experience because yep. the vast majority of our comic uh, of our tattoos are born out of our mutual friendship and love for comics and work done at comic cons or adjacent places. I bring that up because as you both know, I have been trying to get some new ink. Yes. And I found an artist in New York who I was completely enamored with. And I reached out via the appropriate channel. They had an online customer service portal where you fill out, you know, what you, what kind of thing you want, you know, have you had, you know, a whole bunch of questions like, have you done tattoos before? Blah, blah, blah. Fill it out. Says it'll, they'll get back in seven to ten days. It takes almost a month. I was fine with that. Whatever. They finally get back to me, bruh, <laughs> bruh. Okay. So there were two art. You have to. It's one of those things where you have to tell them which artist you're interested in. But it's a whole stable. So they also ask that you name three other artists that work there as backups in case that person's not available. Oof. No. Well, you don't have. I mean, you don't. Nothing. You don't have to. It's not like you're. It's not. Not a binding contract. Okay. So I, I had list listed. Four, but there were two that I really liked. So they came back to me in those two. First of all, the one, the main one, the main one. They're like, well, he's traveling. He's he's in Europe right now in residency, like set up another shop. He'll be back next year, uh, and his fee. 
<laughs> he does a daily sitting fee. So you pay for the day, oh, and then he'll boy. do whatever you want. Oh, my God. $6,000. Oh, my oh! God. Yeah. Bro, like, like you know, we all watch Ink Master. You know, like, like Chris Nunez is like 300 an hour. Like, that's, which is a lot, but like 300 an hour yeah. for Chris Nunez and dudes yeah, charging 60s. Yeah. And then the other guy, this guy, um, Mr. K, who is my second choice at the same shop, he's 1000 for a consult. And then five hundred an hour, so it's fifteen hundred just basically for just to show up. That's insane. No, how crazy is that, That's, right? I, it, uh, so I'm, I'm so I put out the call on, tw- on Twitter, but I'll, I'll ask to our listeners. I I am very much looking for recommendations of New York or Northern New Jersey based tattoo artists that um, dude that that are good and that can do uh, geometric stuff for that price. It would pay for you to fly down to Stringer. No, dude. So Stringer, shout out to Stringer, by the way. Uh, he 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 and I were chatting about this 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 the lamentations, and he said, "Why don't I just road trip up to your house for a couple of days, and I'll 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 work on you." Right. Which is possible, but and then, in a weird way, though, I've 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 become enamored with the idea of getting something from someone else. Yes. Well, I, I'm just saying, if Stringer does make the road trip to your house, he will not be tattooing only one person. Well, no, that's, that's true. true. That's true. And and I, I listen. Stringers are a man fifty grand, and and I've said this a million times to you guys. We are in in incredibly lucky, yeah. like dumb luck, that we ended up all like numb nuts getting tattoos on a whim at that C two E two from Stringer. Because as you all, as you both know, there are a ton of crap ass tattoos out there. Yeah, for real. I mean, some terrible, terrible tattoos and and we totally it's not like we did a lot of research <laughs> we, no. we walked up to that area and watched all these people doing tattoos and and homeboy reached out to us and said are you vince david and jason i listen to your show and we the, said cool do us tattoos so we we totally could have had jacked up ink yeah as a result of that we got very lucky that's what did it yes. he, he opened the door we stepped in willingly and we were just lucky enough that he is extremely competent he's it's great true. at what he does he yes, is very yes, good. Yes. Uh, we've seen some other people that weekend who were not as lucky. Not, not yeah. so good. Like so he, speak, he was even when when he was doing the Joe Kubert thing, the 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 autograph on my arm. He was following it precisely, even to the point where like Joe was kind of shaky on one spot. And he duplicated yeah. the shakiness. Like wow, yeah, yeah. I and and that shakiness is kind of what I'm looking because I I have I have designs for. My next few tattoos is just doesn't I don't necessarily know what order they're getting in, but I was driving down uh, to North Carolina. I realized another design that I want, and and it's it's all handwritten, so I have to figure out a placement, and I just I need somebody who can replicate that well. So yeah, I mean you, you learn a lot watching those shows like Ink Master because you just see things like pulling straight lines is so hard. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, yeah. I think I told you guys, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blow them up on the air, but there's a person that's in my life. I'll just say because I don't want to, and and they recently got a tattoo, and I showed y'all, and it was jacked up. I mean, jacked <laughs> up. And I'm like, and you know, listen to those of you out there listening, and and I know that I saw a stat recently that 41 percent of millennials, as defined by people under the age of 26. And eight, between eighteen and twenty-six have tattoos. That is an enormous number. Yeah, I like. But that. but my point is, if you don't have a tattoo and you're curious, you do get what you pay for. 
this is not something to chintz on. Right, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Dap, um, you sound great, by the way. Oh, that, thanks, man. Yeah, you know, that, you do too. That mic sound is Dude, the, the microphone is stand. I'm not saying anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm oh, just I'm serious. Why not sound good? Oh, you sound fine. I'm giving my my brother. Oh, my I'm giving my brother <laughs> Dap. A, a digital dap because he he has the microphone stand it is working for him and it sounds great that's all i'm saying so <clears throat> what 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 do i not sound good about no you sound perfect perfect you do. one more microphone um positioning device and i will be the nadine of podcasts completely silent <laughs> nadine nadine with her little white sneakers uh we have that, gone about 20 minutes without talking about what we're drinking it's true dap you are recording yes I. <laughs> yes. Oh, my man. Wait, no. Okay. Oh, wait. All right. Get that back up going because you never know. I uh, will start it off because, as usual, I'm lowballing it, drinking the Diet Coke, unfortunately, this week. Ooh. Wow. Right, we'll not a fan. I'm not, not a fan of the Coke. Wow. Pepsi's infinitely better. It's okay no to be doubt. right. But I do. I will say that Coke Zero is very good. Mm. But I don't have form, it. Isn't I, it? Then that doesn't exist anymore, does it? Yeah, or Coke One or something. Coke Zero or One. I don't know. It's a diet Coke that doesn't have sugar that tastes real good. I nice. don't know the name. Whatever the name is, it's good. Mm-hmm. But anyway, pass That's it on. Absolutely, is way too sweet for me. No, I really like the sweet. Fan. I like the sweet. Mm. The sweet like you. I guess I'm sweet enough then. So. What you drinking, Jason? I'm drinking an oldie but a goodie, Close de los Siete. Woo! Wow. Argentinian red table wine. Sweet. All right. What about you, DAP? Uh, I am <laughs> trying something new. This is the uh, O.N.E. It is the one from Noble Vines Collection out of uh, California. Black, because it uh, it is a blend of... Varieties, according to the label. So um, it is notes of spice, toasted oak. It's not. It, it's. I picked it up when we were down south. It is not. Um, it's not bad. I, I didn't know what to expect. Really, it. Uh, it's a little on the smooth side. Not too sweet, but uh, pretty good. Cool. Pretty pretty good. All right. Let's. Does anyone have any thank yous? Ooh, I do not. But I may. But I don't. How about okay. that? Yeah, there, I, I haven't checked the mail in a while. Okay. I, 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 no, no, go ahead. Oh, boy. Uh, I do not have thank yous, but I have two things that I wanted to shout out. Do it. Okay. Okay, first, uh, Kickstarter. Our good friend, friend of the show, familial-level friend of the show, Mr. Ray Wagner. Mm. He has just launched a Kickstarter, and I am elated to say, as we're recording... Just two days into his Kickstarter, he has already doubled his initial goal. Wow. So that's awesome. But it is uh, if you're a Kickstarter fan, I would ask that you go over to the comic section. You will find it. it's called Kingdom of Skulls. It is a 36-page comic. Uh, as Ray describes it, it's a comic about a powerful ancient artifact, the Skull Crown, and its journey through countless generations of kings. Uh, we are all fans of Ray's art. I love that Ray's creating his own comics. It's his passion. Um, I uh, proudly pledged today, but again, uh, he's got some pretty cool tiers. I think it's a sometimes Kickstarter these days. People 
get a little bent out of shape about your 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 value for your buck. I think Ray did a nice job with that. I think you get plenty for your 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 for your for the different tiers. You get plenty of of goodies. Well worth it. There's even a, a there's even a um, a commission tier for forty dollars. For forty bucks, wow. you get you get the book. You get PDFs of his sketchbooks from prior uh, years, and you get a nine by twelve inked head bust of your choice, which is absurd. So I commend that to your attention. And then the other thing I wanted to shout out is former EOC logo creator, former guest and and current friend of the show, Mr. Jay Gonzo, better known to many of you as the creator of La, uh, La Mano del Destino, um, is right now, uh, he, you may, some of you may know that Jay is um, a graphic artist and a tattoo artist uh, by trade. Uh, for reasons that probably don't need getting into, um, his tattoo shop is like relocating, transitioning. So there's like a two or three week downtime window. And as a result, uh, he has got an, uh, unusual open slot to take on commissions and Dap and I can both attest firsthand how awesome his commissions are. And I will be honest with you. I'm not just saying this, uh, his, he's way underpriced. He, he, he charges, he does fantastic commissions for way less than he should charge. And uh, since y'all are our faithful listeners, uh, you get to take advantage of that arbitrage. So if you are looking for a commission from a great artist, uh, now is the chance, and Jay is available. So the best way to reach him is to uh, – you can either go to our Facebook page where there's a post about it, or you can email him at gonzo, G-O-N-Z-O, at Designs, which is J. G O N Z O D E S I G N S. So J Gonzo designs.com. So again, it's Gonzo at J Gonzo designs.com and hit them up. I think we've already got five or six people hitting them up from the Facebook post, but uh, there's still plenty of time because like I said, he's got like a three week window. He's going to try and bang a bunch of them out. So hook it up. Nice. Hey, why don't you check that kingdom of skulls Kickstarter and see who just pledged. Oh, <laughs> oh my man. DAP. What? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, my man. <laughs> what a dick! Oh my god, let's get, let's talk about the comics. I have um, I, I it's I huge, huge Dang. mega, Wumba thanks to uh, to 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 my boy Daniel White. Oh, that's that's boo, dude. Because <sighs> I mean, came up for the weekend and. Uh, Put him to work. Seriously, when this house sells, I don't know if he's going to get a cut, but a lot of it is because, is going to be because of the work he put in on on putting that floor down. Um, it looks absolutely amazing, but my man, my, my my man's a trooper. I mean, and and he I mean, he offered, so you know, it did uh, before he even finished the sentence. Renee took him up on it. So, uh, it, does he get the good good from Renee as a as a payback? What? what are you talking right? about? Right, right, yes. Well, it's quid pro quo, right? He's I mean, getting the if, good, good. He's... If, you to, if you were to say that about benefits, then it'd be like, listen, yeah, I, I had to at least take advantage of this one time since I'm oh, my my wife is always abused on this show. Well, yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm thinking of of stopping that because I feel bad after I say it. But oh, you do? I do. Oh, after ten years? After ten years? No, I do because you know what I mean. Like the libido kicks in. It's like, mm, and I'm I say it, and then I feel bad for saying it. So I'm not gonna say it anymore. But I just okay. just read a blanket statement. I'm thinking it. I'm just not saying it. <laughs> okay, but you know this this Daniel White 
DAP association is troubling to me because <laughs> I think the man's horning in on a, you know they're doing podcasts together now and the, he's with them all. It's like I'm a little jealous here. That's 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 a Patreon tier right there. That's that's you know hey listen I'm, if you want jealous if. If if you become a patron, you never know what you're going to get. You might be able you might be able to go hang out with Jason on Wall Street. Maybe able to go sit in on Vince's class, or you can do some fucking manual labor at Dap's house. So it's it, it depends on what exactly uh, you're into when when you uh, when you become a, a patron. But it's should we you know, create a tier? Take your patron to work day. <laughs> I like that. Right? Hey, so, that's a good one. It's, it's, you know, I mean, he, we already have we have the homework <laughs> assignment set for um for when he comes up again next time, whenever that is, and 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 we'll. Uh, I mean, it was it was hella cool because we were just we were chilling out on the deck. Uh, last time he came up, we we talked Legends of the Dark Knight. Uh, so this time we didn't have anything read, but he was jonesing to record something. I'm not going to say no, and and uh, so we asked the patrons if they had any questions, and some did. So we riffed for about an hour and change, and uh, we will have something uh, read for next time. So yeah, I mean that 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 seems to be something extra to do while because it's we the didn't want to get into the whole patreon thing that and and we have two shout outs for this week but we it that is part of what makes what makes being on patreon so much fun is is that you never know just you want to do something here this is you know i want to share this with 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 people who have shared with us so it's 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 a cool thing so yeah but it was it, it was a great weekend yeah, I'm just saying, Mr. White, it's an extra hour to my house. That's it, you know. Oh, you could always come here because it right. seems to be the half point. So it's, you know, it's... Uh... It is. I'm just being a right. jerk. I'm just giving him, giving him some shit because I love him so much. Now, he is easy we, to love. We need to talk about the comics. We do. We, we, we do. talk about some comics. Good night, everybody. Yeah, right. go ahead. Um, what are we going to start with? We want to start some with some tag team action? That's up to y'all. That's up to y'all. Okay, here's my question to you, Jason, because I know Dap read this. Okay. Did you read Retcon number one from Image? I'm not just saying this. It's, I'm six pages into it. It's the, it's the last comic I read before I looked and saw that it was 902 and that y'all were going to be like, oh. Jason, Jason oh, be here in about 10 what? minutes. That's <laughs> well, true. It's true. All right. I know. I know. So I guess we'll. No, good. Just jump into it. Honestly, let's not. The, the show is more. I I will not be at all spoiled by it. Please. Okay. All right. Well, there's nothing really to to spoil. Um, retcon number one, written by Matt Nixon, illustrated by the awesome Toby Cypress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the first issue. We are uh, thrown right into it head first. So, uh, opening panel. There is a man who goes by the name of Chris the Animal Dodge, um, is somewhat of a special paranormal agent. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Dodge has addiction problems, and, and he's at his, his AA meeting, uh, and he's uh, trying to reach out and, and find a friend, and in doing so, he's revealing government secrets. And uh, there is a... An organization that does not want that. And it's not just at your garden variety, you know, government secrets. Like we use a depleted uranium in, 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 in uh, Iran. It's, not, it, it's something more because um, what he's showing them are pictures of, of paranormal entities. One of them is a genie. 
and people are taking pictures of it and putting it on the on the Instagram and shit. And so they, this organization sends in the strike force and the strike force consists of uh, a man named Ross Brandon. But um, Ross is, is possessed by something that, that calls itself Mary Sue. And it's, it's somewhat unclear, but it's, it's an ancient entity that can shape his body into anything necessary to achieve its goals. And in this instance, it's protecting its host, so it makes him impervious, like he's rock hard, and he has giant monster arms. So um, they, they call out this Chris the Animal Dodge, and they throw down, and Chris goes off the deep end and just starts getting into the thick of things and and here's where his power comes in chris is a lycanthrope he's a werebear and <laughs> and he, it's not it's not your your larry talbot wolfman where he just changes into a, a a wolf or a bear the the bear actually comes out of his mouth and peels back the skin peels back and it, the, like the fragments of his skin are hanging off the werebear's back and it, and it appears to me that the eyes of the discarded skin still work, right? Did you get that impression? Yes. Because they're looking around and shit, right? Yeah. So he turns into this bear and, and, and Ross is going at it and they're fighting and Ross has a conscience. Um, the, the organization wants Dodge eliminated. They want to kill him and they want to purify the area, meaning everybody else at the AA meeting is going to die too. And Ross isn't having it. Um, he doesn't. He feels that you know there's something going on in the organization he's working for. He only took the job so he can erase a prior, and and go on with his life. So he's a reluctant participant who refuses to kill. Unfortunately, his partner Josh, who is a skinwalker, this is really cool. He could inhabit remotely. He can inhabit bodies, and. Uh, my man, I got to give him credit. He uh, he inhabits the body of a platinum blonde, as do we all want to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Josh has no qualms about killing. He's got this device that it's a nanite bomb that um, the nanites will attack. Like they have silver, they're silver-based nanites. So what happens when you add silver to a lycanthrope? Well, as we all know, silver's bad juju to a, a werewolf and a werebear so this is going to kill him and, and he, he flings it and uses a, a pokemon reference in while doing so and, <laughs> yeah. and and so ross is like dude turn back because if you don't these nanites are going to devour you and and the the it's it's just an amazing battle primarily because toby cypress is so damn good at what he does oh my god so yeah. good um, I followed Toby for a long time, and I he, his his brushstrokes are just delicious, right? He's very flu- oh yeah, very expressive, very fluid. If mm-hmm. if you took Jim Mafood and mixed him with Paul Pope, that's man, that's such a good description. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. If you had if you put them on the 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 one to ten scale and and mapped him, he'd be right in the middle. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Um, and it's just so kinetic, and it's 
wild and it's seat of the pants. Um, I mean, there's marks all over the place and it's not realistic at all. And I wouldn't expect it to be with, with Toby Cypress. The figures are very exaggerated. The werebear is so cool. Um, it's, I, I, I just devoured this issue. I read it twice in one sitting. I had to go back and read it again. Not because mm-hmm. it didn't make sense, but because I was like, wow, there's, right. there's dot it patterns in it. It wasn't metal, too. Hand-drawn. It, it, no. <laughs> it, 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 there's hand-drawn typography. It's just great. Like, there's nothing not to love about this issue. And I'm going to let Daptop, because I, I'm just going to keep gushing and gushing. No, and it's you're absolutely... It's it's gush-worthy. It, it's, it, there isn't a lot. Uh, I can add, it's a... Um, I think this is one of those books where you definitely get what you pay for because you read it twice. It's it packs so much on the page. You end up with more questions, but not in in an, not that that's annoying or it's a detriment. You 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 want to know more. There, there's so much to take in that not everything's going to expl- be explained in this issue. You're not going to get everything told to you, uh, which. I'm absolutely fine with, and and the characters are just, the characters are completely insane, and and the people who are responsible for things and and set things in motion and it, 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 conference porting into people's bedrooms, it's just it's it's yeah, it's so crazy, and it's crazy good. It is just it's. Even even when we get to the end, where he's he's trying to, he's talking to the detective, and he's like, "Listen, you know, this is this is what's going on, and and we have to. It's just it's we have to get out of here. I, I I can't. It's it's really hard for me to. This is one of the books where I didn't write any notes for because I couldn't. It just it it would have been a sprawling mess as I tried to just get the thoughts out of my head and onto the page. It, 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 it's so you just, you need to read this is I can't Vince did a fantastic job. I really this is one of those books where it's, it, it's probably painful to hear me try to talk about it because I, I can't, I it's, it's just, I can't do it just, I, I could try to explain what the book is about. I mean, even, even the solicit in previews, it's like, oh, it's 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 a book that that's retcon before it even starts, and it's like I don't understand that solicit. And I read the issue, and I'm like, I don't, I, I just I took the the I took what was on the page, and just that's that's what I went by, and and I enjoyed it so very much, and and I think that uh, you may flip through this and think it's not for you, or you're you're just judging it by by the visuals, but when when put together with the story Nixon is telling, it's it just it really works, and I'm yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this second yeah. issue just because I want more of this. Right. I finished it while y'all were talking. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> and, nice dude, the Vince man, like that is the best elevator pitch of the uh, of of Cypress's art ever because it is exactly that. Like it really is as if you just locked Paul Pope and my food in a room and and. Drop some Spanish fly into their drinks and just let them go at it. Yeah, and out, yeah. out comes Cyprus. Yep. Um, 
I love when uh, when when Dodge is fighting Homeboy and and he he gets all morphed out like Bane style with giant arms and he's got the the pentagram on his back. Yes. The character design is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is um, if you had if you had just given me this book and not told me who did it and then said who do you think wrote it, I would have maybe said Matt Kent. So yeah, wow. yeah, which is the, of highest praise as, as yeah. possible for me to give to somebody. So yeah, I really, uh, I, I think this is a grand slam first issue start. Yeah, yeah, and What's, it's um, there's. Go ahead. No, I was going to comment that the art. Miss Goose. I I don't I don't want to keep driving the bus towards Toby Cypress because the 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 concept and the characters and the writing um, is is just it's spot on. It's great. I, uh, Matt Nixon, phenomenal job, but visual medium, right? So I, I, I always tend to focus on that. And Cypress's art is alternately loose and unrestrained, but there's a complexity to it too. And it, it just keeps on revealing things. Like the first time I read it, I didn't realize that the werebear is covered with eyes, his his torso's covered yeah. covered with eyeballs and they're they're like squinty cat's eye kind of and the pupils are all looking in different directions and it's it's every panel there's a, a little added extra goodness that makes you linger um the nanite storm panels there's there's color overlays and dot patterns and mm-hmm. and and just um textures uh, the the hands of of Josh as the woman is holding this device that activates the nanite storm and she pierces a, the bottom panel and then the device enters the panel above it it's just like there's little tiny touches like that that just make this thing so rich and i i absolutely adore it it's just it's amazing there's um detail blowouts like in an instruction manual, like when the bear's getting attacked by the nanites, you see the nanites in a circle and there's like a line pointing towards mm-hmm. the point where they are. And there's a huge gut-wrenching scream, hand handwritten on the bottom of the pen. It's just, this is, this is the berries. This issue is so damn good. It really is. I want it this really in an oversized hardcover. <laughs> mm-hmm. What else I has was... Matt Nixon done that we know? Oh, I don't have that handy. Because it's a name that it was was not new to me, but I can't think of something off the top of my head that I've read of his. Right. I, I, God help me, I can't either. Yeah. And have we maybe just met him? Have we met him at shows? And that's maybe that's it? it? It's possible. Know. But you know what? We're going to find out. We're going to be like, we are so stupid. Yeah. All right. And who's this dude with the translucent arm that you can see the... The inner workings of the arm, like I want. That's me. It's not you. I want to know who this is. Is he the the guy in the photo? Because if you look at the photo that um, uh, Chris is is showing around, it's see the 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 commanding officer type guy with the crew cut and the patch. Mm-hmm. Look at his arm. He's got a hook for an arm. Mm-hmm. And later on in the issue, that's the same arm that that person. So I'm thinking it's the same guy. It is the same the guy. Dude. He's got the patch on his eye. What am I saying? It is. See what oh, I mean? Oh yeah, you're right. This yep. is oh, some... the dude at the end in the bed. 
No, the red dude. The guy that's in red with the white translucent arm. With the ge- right, yeah, because that's the same the, dude. And, but in and then in the end, in the bed, he's got the stump for for on right, right, okay. Yeah, that's man. The uh, yeah, no, they, they were all the same guy. When I was um, as I've been trying to, which has been on a hiatus since we've been away for the past few weekends. But as I was trying to catalog my comics, I came across one that I couldn't find in the database, and it's. I, I remember getting it many, many years ago, but it's it's schizophrenic man that was drawn by Toby Cypress. Toby Cypress, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Killing Girl, too, from Image. I, I, I love his stuff. Oh, it, for sure. Yeah, there's a sequence in here when they, they flash towards Josh, the real Josh that's remotely controlling the woman, and he's he's all throwing up and, and foaming at the mouth, and he has a game controller in his hand. He's he's throwing up on the game controller. It's so funny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Big fat slob, neck beard type guy. You know, <laughs> of course he would inhabit a hot blonde. Why wouldn't he? Uh I Matt would. Nixon has written some Wolverine. Really? That's, that's why I didn't yes. read it. Uh, come on, bro. Really you gonna come at me like that? You heard <laughs> You heard uh, <laughs> Yeah, stupid. we're talking like uh, the stupid. 1988 series, like one issues one seventy three, one seventy four. Oh, um, he's written. Uh, he's written for Frank Frazetta, Fantasy Illustrated. I have that. Hey, no, he hasn't. Conan, Return of Sturm. Yeah, yeah, Dick. Uh, Ant. Okay. Uh, Motel Hell. So yeah, I mean, it's been. It's some of these cover dates are for like you know 2010, 2014, 2003. So he, it, it's not. Yeah, he hasn't been doing a whole lot in at least under this name. Uh, in recent years. Well, I'm going to be his champion then because this was yeah. amazing. This you would heard. fit in over at Dark Horse. This is in the Black Hammer uh, BPRD. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, That's exactly what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, or yeah. like Ether. Yeah, if you told me like, oh, dude, yeah, absolutely. The Ed League, things like yeah. that. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Can I gush about something? Absolutely. Why, why you got to ask permission? That's, that's Chris. You man. do it every time. I don't. Yeah. You absolutely do. You're tripping. I Dorbs. Okay, so one of my favorite things about comics is when you come across something that by all accounts is not something you think you're going to have any reason to enjoy. And then you try it on a whim and you love it. Hmm, that is fun. Right. So I didn't even remember ordering this book when it came to my DCBS shipment. But I'm glad that it was there. Wow. I'm talking about Jane. Yes. What's it's it? written by Aline, and I hope I'm saying her name right. It's A-L-I-N-E, Aline Brosh McKenna, with the illustration by, and this is clearly why I ordered it, Mr. Ramon K. Perez. Yes. Uh, as you might guess, if you haven't heard of the book, Jane is an adaptation, a graphic novel adaptation of Jane Eyre. Now, a little background. Hmm. I, uh, as Vince likes to say, uh, the, the, the show is all about me. Uh, I, um, I I feel like I'm a pretty well-read dude. I've read most of the classics, I would say. Um, I have not read any Bronte stuff. I, I've not read Jane Eyre, none of it. I, it just never never, never struck me as, as being intended for me, so I, I've never read any of it. Um, genuinely couldn't tell you until I read this book what Jane Eyre was about. I had no idea. Um but this is a modern interpretation 
uh, of, of Jane Eyre. Uh, for those wondering who Aline Brosh McKenna is, she is a novelist and screenwriter. Apparently, her her most notable works would be uh, she's the screenwriter for The Devil Wears Prada, and for some uh, something called Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Um, and I think that's a Noah Thurman movie. Is it okay? Yeah, I'm not. Again, I'm not familiar. I must admit, but but from what I gather from the back matter and sh- some interviews I saw, um, she wanted to adapt something for a TV show. And then somehow I think she met, um, she was doing promotion for something else at San Diego and she met Ramon and listen for all of for those of you listeners who have not met Ramon, um, you know, Vince and David under know what I'm about to say. Ramon is a charming motherfucker. That's true. Good, good looking dude, suave dude, not, not, uh, doesn't strike me as someone that has trouble with the ladies. <laughs> so no surprise that uh, that Miss McKenna and and Ramon hit it off. I think if and again I I, I apologize because I'm this is from memory. So I'm if I'm wrong, uh, apologies in advance. If I'm not mistaken, she read Tale of Sand. Someone turned her on to it. She was blown away and then said to him, I, "I have a project I would love to do with you someday." And at the time, Ramon was committed to other works and said, "Sure, at some point we'll do it." And then lo and behold. He, he reached out to her. A window was, was created, and they, they, they did this book this past year. Um, it's by Archaea, which uh, it's nice to talk about an Archaea book because I feel like we haven't talked about Archaea much since they were acquired by Boom. Um, but in any event, it is, a, it is a modern interpretation of Jane Eyre. Um, I'll, just, I'll, I'll do a quick little recap here. It says, growing up in an unhappy family in a small New England town, Jane dreamed of escaping to New York City to study art and live a life of independent adventure. Someone's going to turn their alerts off. Soon after arriving, she takes her job as a nanny for a mysterious, powerful businessman, Rochester, and his lovable but lonely daughter, Adele. Um, and uh, listen, it's it's this is a book that, by all accounts, is not something that should appeal to me, but I absolutely loved it. It's it's fantastic, and no disrespect to to Miss McKenna, um, but to me, this is this is about Ramon. Just as Tale of Sand was Ramon's coming out party and just a triumphant um, evidence of what an amazing cartoonist he is, uh, this is more of that, right? I mean, again, this is an interpretation of Jane Eyre, so I don't – I personally don't know how much this book differs from the original work, um, so I can't really even weigh in as to – like I can't give – if you you guys know what I'm saying, I can't give McKenna all that much credit one way or the other here because I don't know – how much she changed it. I mean, it's set in a modern time, so clearly it's in some way adapted, but I don't know how much of the underlying plot is different from the original novel. Um, but I can speak to, I can speak on it. I can speak to, for it to, to Ramon's uh, illustration and it's just jaw dropping, man. Like, so when she's growing up in this troubled neighbor, you know, she's growing up with a, with, with, with family. Um, Cause she's a, she's an orphan um, and it's a horrible existence. Ramon does starts he starts the book off as she's living through that period in very subtle almost too subtle pencil and and just black and white and gray like there's no color because she has no there's no fire in her life you know what I mean like there's nothing to her and then she discovers art and she starts be, being illustrated in color and then as she gets more and more into it she starts becoming fully realized and fully detailed. And then she takes a, a bus to New York city and suddenly she's walking through New York city and it's all black and white, but the sky is colored 
and she's you see her clothes and her her hair starts being colored and then she's going through and then she meets her roommate she she sublets a place from a, from from you know from a, a, someone she finds on on you know Craigslist or something and 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 he's in color and then the stairs are in color and then she walks into her room and it's boom you know 20 30 pages into the book boom her her new her new apartment is full color and it's like her life she's finally starting her life right and um it's just masterful and then uh you know at its heart it's a love story it's it's a story of um in essence she comes to new york to be an art student and she needs a job as part of her scholarship and and curriculum so she gets a job as a nanny at an unbelievably wealthy hedge fund manager uh and and he's he's a um the hedge fund manager rochester is um a widower and he's never around and so she takes to this precocious young little girl um, who has been through a litany of nannies. And uh, but 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 Jane and, and the girl hit it off, Adele. And, and they're they're you know, she 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 hates the environment because the, the hedge fund manager is, is is moody. And he when he shows up, he's kind of a dick. And it's a it's a cavernous penthouse apartment in New York where there's all these rooms and no one's ever there. So it feels lonely. And she she wants to quit. But she won't quit because Adele and her have a bond, and she doesn't want to abandon Adele. And then over time, she starts realizing that there's more to Rochester, the the widower, than she expected, and they fall in love. Um, and there's an underlying mystery in that there's a room up at the top of the penthouse where um, it's been told by the the caretaker that no one's to, to go up there, and if you go up there, you're going to be fired. And uh, it's a big mystery. And then uh, I, I guess I can spoil it because ultimately, again, this is Jane Eyre, which is what a 200-year-old, 150-year-old book. Um, it, in the room is actually the um, the wife. The wife, in fact, wasn't killed. She was basically put into a, you know, a, like a vegetative state. And Rochester can't bring himself to let her die, so so she's in this room. But he's never had the heart to tell his daughter that the mom's still alive because she's like she's you know catatonic. Um, and uh, there's a whole underlying subplot about Rochester's hedge fund partner, who is his ex-wife's or not his ex-wife, his his wife's uh, brother. And uh, there's some nefarious things that go on there. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a love story. Uh, it's a, it's it's Jane falling in love with her own life, with art, with New York City, with this little girl, and then ultimately with Rochester and trying to break this this cycle of of um, distance that he's created from everyone he loves because his wife was the love of his life, and she she ended her 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 at least her her meaningful life ended tragically, and he he became a a workaholic as a result. Um, and uh, through the course of the book, Jane essentially thaws out and normalizes the daughter and the caretaker and Rochester and herself. And, uh, and uh, look, it has a happy ending because it's, it's Jane Eyre. And I just thought the book was fantastic. This is one of those things where if it were adapted, if there was a modern, and I think there's been lots of adaptations of Jane Eyre, modern and, and whatnot. And admittedly, I, this is not my general field of expertise here, but but uh, this, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking like this would be one of those movies where if this, I mean, if there, if this were a movie, I would be watching it with my wife, and she'd want to watch it a thousand times, and I'd get lucky after watching it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like one of those like romantic movies where, yeah, like he's it's so feel good that at the end the wife wants to jump jump the bones. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Dad? Oh yeah, you know yeah. That was a great great oh, yeah, review, that. very heartfelt, and then. You shit the bed with that one what? comment. <laughs> oh my god, dude! No, I'm, I'm saying kidding. it's like it's yeah. 
I got but, you. Um, but but Ramon is is just uh, listen. I we're all fans of Ramon's work. For real. Ramon has done a lot of. Um, he's an Eisner winner. Um, he's done a lot of non Marvel DC work, but he's also done more recently a lot of 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 big two work, mainly with Marvel, but 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 superhero work. And I like his superhero stuff, but I much prefer his non-superhero stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and again, yeah. I don't like, I, I mean, I own pages of his super, I own Wolverine and the X-Men pages he's done. Like I, I, he's incredible no matter what he's doing, but this has that spark that, um, the tale of Sand had, if you know what I mean. Like he, he just, it's just, just that little extra notch that goes from extremely talented cartoonist to jaw dropping cartoonist. And, and he, he shows his love in this book. Um, I don't know how long it took him, don't know how long he worked on it, um, but uh, but it's an absolute grand slam. And so anyone that that is a fan of Jane Eyre or a fan of romance comics or uh, you know th- this is this is the book for you because I, I don't know how many romance comics exist out there because admittedly it's not something that I generally find myself seeking, um, but I get the sense there aren't a tremendous amount of them. And so if you are a fan of the genre, uh, this has got to be one of the best examples we've seen in years. So Jane from Archaea, uh, it is um, twenty four ninety nine uh, cover price. So let's let's say what Vince forty uh, percent. Let's say what probably uh, sixteen bucks on discount comic book service. Not bad, I guess. Uh, and it is one. Let's see how many pages. It's like a hundred and uh, there's no page numbers, but it's probably like just about two hundred pages. I'd say. So awesome stuff, though. Absolutely awesome stuff. I, I I'm just so thrilled that I in a moment of clarity pre-ordered this and then was shocked that I had. And then I'm glad that I, I did because, uh, but it's just, you know, you know what I mean? Like we, we were joking about how, you know, what was it? Maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago, I had had like two back to back episodes where I was just shitting on everything that I read. And, yeah. and even someone on the, on the forums was like, Oh, woods, is wood going to pull a Neesman? Is going to leave, you know, He's out. and, uh, you just get these, you know, you get these cycles, you read a lot of stuff and, uh, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, uh, when, each of us have our own peccadillos. For me, when when I'm not in love with Marvel, I think it clouds my overall enjoyment of the medium because the 25 year old, 25 plus year Marvel zombie in me guarantees that I'm always going to read a lot of Marvel, even when I'm not vibing on it. And so I think you get into this this back and forth where, um, and you know, Vince, you had it a few years ago. You weren't reading any DC, mm-hmm. and then now you're, you're back enjoying DC. Like you get in these cycles, and it's just human nature. And I feel like um, one of the best ways to break out of that is when you just come across something that's just not not something you're necessarily looking for is not in your normal wheelhouse and just reminds you of how magical this medium can be uh, because it can be so many different things. It doesn't just always have to be about the things that, that got us here in the first place. Yeah. And this book is squarely in that. I mean, this is not a book that I ever would have bought off the shelf just randomly. I mean, I bought it mainly because of such a fan of Ramon's work and I'm so glad I did. Yep. Perez is a bit of a Mazzucchelli. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a very fair comparison. Yeah, yeah. he's he's wonderful, great, um, legendary when he's at the big two, but put him on something special um, like Mazzucchelli with a Stereos polyp and rubber blanket and he just shines all day. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. So there you go, Jane. Loved it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. I need y'all to speak on it. 
I may, I may actually read it because you made oh, it sound nice. so I'm damn good. Well, we can speak on a lot of stuff. Dap, you have anything you want to bring to the table? Um, <laughs> we can. Wow. No, 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 because I'm picking between one, two, one of two things. Picking a winner? Um, Vince and I, we can talk about uh, Valiant. We can. I think they're moving a safe upstairs. And I don't remember ever having a safe. Um, Dap, oh, uh, yeah, the, the crazies. Um, Dap, of course, is talking about Bloodshot's Day Off from Valiant. Exclamation point. Yes, written by Elliot Rahal, illustrated by Kari Evans. Wow. Which is, and I'm glad that they put the, because uh, the art looks familiar, but I wasn't too sure. And they put the credits on the last page. Mm-hmm. And I saw Kari's name and I was like, Holy crap, I don't remember seeing that name in a while. And that's from like the, the Daughters of the Dragon miniseries from Marvel a bunch yeah. of years ago. So I, I haven't seen Evans' name on anything in recent years. Yes. With color art by Mr. Andrew Dollhouse. No, no surprise. Um, you want to give him the pitch or do you want me to do it? Uh, basically, it is, it is pretty much exactly uh, what the title of the book is suggested is um there are two bloodshots in this issue both getting a day off following the events of uh oh leaving bloodshot island and then of course uh squashing the problem that was occurring in uh in new york city with the nanites going crazy but tank man and viet man are granted a uh, a graciously and generously granted a one day yeah, trip for their to, twenty thousand hours of active duty. Twenty thousand of active duty, uh, <laughs> a one day trip to the Plaza Hotel in New York, separate rooms, <laughs> queen beds in each room, and you get to spend as much money as you want at the mini bar. And it, it's you know it's it's quite an extravagant uh, expense that 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 um, that the gate facility uh the global agency for threat excision excision is is uh excision it it's is giving them so uh they're at first they're not too thrilled with spending today together since they've spent so much time together uh they, they want some time apart and that is where the uh the story really kind of Tugs at you a little bit. There's uh, yeah. uh, Tank Man uh, being the uh, the soldier from World War II who was um, uh, who joined Project Rising Spirit. Uh, he um, he volunteered. That's important. He volunteered. Yeah. Well, yeah. The uh, basically the uh, it was a sergeant. Um, Told him that you know this is the gentleman that uh, that I was telling you about. So um, the general explained everything to him, and uh, yes. So basically, if, if he can, if if uh, if he can stop it, if he can help stop it, if if uh, Winston Grover here can can help put an end to the war, then then he will gladly um, sign up with Project Rising Spirit. Right, but why? And, why did he do it? You're, there's a crucial piece there. Well, he he uh, Grover. 
He's Jewish. He's Jewish. Yeah. And uh, he, because of who our enemies were in World War II, he uh, he is. It makes the decision that much easier for him to to fight this evil. So, unfortunately, in doing that, he's making a huge sacrifice and and giving up the woman he loves, who he had promised to marry before being sent out to war. Um, and as you know, the the throwback, the, the flashbacks to the war, him. I mean, it, it wasn't half the book or anything. There were a couple of pages where you just see him in uniform and reporting for duty. Uh, but the bulk of his story in this issue has him going to a uh, to a synagogue and and um, basically kind of going home a little bit and uh, visiting old friends at uh, at the, well, one in particular at the cemetery. Uh, whereas Vietman Dell, he. Uh, he basically goes to uh, goes to Harlem and, and visits the Harlem House of the Holy. And his flashback is uh, he's basically he's been a scrapper most of his life. And, and dad wanted more for him and wanted to keep him safe. And when uh, and when his drafting papers came, dad offered him four hundred dollars. And a way out of town so that uh, he can get to his uncle who would help Dell get across the border. And uh, because basically dad's like, this isn't our fight. They, they, they don't care about us to begin with. Uh, so there's no reason to fight with them or for them. And he, uh, he really doesn't care for dad's attitude and, and, he leaves, does join, and uh, and is is very close to being killed in duty, and uh, and he is alive just enough where it makes him a candidate for uh, for Project Rising Spirit, and that's how he becomes a bloodshot. But he goes he goes back home and he finds out that uh, that the pastor. Of the uh, of the holy house, who we find we see is is his father uh, is in a hospital. He's dying. He doesn't have much longer, uh, so he does go to visit him, and and dad recognizes him uh, pretty much immediately, and uh, they they spend a few moments together, and by the end of the issue, uh, Grover and Dell uh, catch back up with each other, and and. Uh, spend an evening at a bar kind of reminiscing a little bit, but the, uh, the last couple of pages really kind of, uh, hammer things home a bit. And, and it's, it's not always as bad as you think it is, is, is what I got out of, of this issue. It's, it's, it was a lot more, it, it was a, it hit kind of hard in, in some places and, and it, it was not at all what I was expecting because I, I, I wasn't expecting to read to finish something this heavy and, and it wasn't so right. Um, right. Well, you, when you see the circle, the red circle and the name bloodshot on the cover, you expect it to be all out action and, and yes. you know, people blowing up and arms and legs getting 
taken off and put back on, you know, because that's the, with the nanites. And it's, you, you expect like this visceral war experience. And this is not that at all. It is not. No. Um, it's, uh, I think that it was very, very smart for, for the creative team to focus on two oppressed peoples because you have a Jew in World War II and a black man in, in Vietnam. So it's like, all right, these are people that are getting crushed under the, 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 the soul of, of, you know, the, the man uh, or the evil man. And, and they're just trying to basically go home in this issue. They're, they're, they're done with, like David said, all the, the, the war and the, the bloodshot Island and bloodshot USA. And they, they're getting a breather and they try and go home. And and home doesn't exist anymore for these guys. The 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 tank man, uh, he's a Steve Rogers clone in a way, be, because he's he's a great soldier, and now he finds himself a man out of time, like the stranger in a strange land type deal, yeah. and, and and everything is so modern, and you know, t- time and technology have have uh, passed and improved, and he's driving around in a in a vintage car. You know, and he has a it, he has a hat. Like, who wears a hat? A, a fedora now, you know. And he's he's just trying Andy to, re- and he's listening to 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 old time music on the radio. And it's just he's trying desperately to get back what he lost, but he can't. And there's there's one crucial thing that he can't get back, and you see that in this issue. And it's just it's just an amazing. I don't think we got enough of Team Bloodshot. I mean, yeah, we were introduced to them, and you know, Lemire fleshed them out reasonably well. But this uncovers so much about these two characters in one issue that I, I think this was much needed. But came out of the blue, right? I didn't expect yes. this. No, I didn't either. I didn't either. Great stuff, and like David said, heart wrenching stuff. Yeah, but um, a bit of the. Uh, um, we all go down together. The, you know, yeah, I can I can see them all on the stage, holding holding each other at the end and just singing that 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 uh, that song. But um, I praise Valiant almost exclusively. But what? I got I got to keep it real. Oh yeah, I I read a Valiant book that I did not enjoy at all. So okay, in, in order for my praise to have some kind of weight, I have to, you know, w- balance it with a, a little bit of um, not praise. A little vinegar. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. the, the series I'm talking about is called Faith and the Future Force. And, and I read the first two issues. Um, let's see. It's written by Jody Hauser. With art by Steven Segovia and Barry Kitson. Mm-hmm. Colors by our, our, our boo, Ulysses Areola. Um, so that's Segovia and Kitson have very different styles. Mm, I think they do. Yeah, not so much here. Okay. But there is a noticeable difference when, when one takes control. Um, it, it doesn't amount to much. Uh, it remember Neela Neela Sethi from uh, Time Walker. Yeah. Well, well, she's she's the new Time Walker in the Valiant universe, and she. So wait, now this bums me out then because 
didn't the uh was it uh Clayton Henry that did the preview in in that recent uh what the hell, not, not the yearbook but there was there was a valiant book recently that, where it had a few pages of upcoming titles and this was one of them and 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 I thought I was looking forward to it because I like the way he draws right I didn't I've never encountered Clayton Henry's name associated with faith in the future force maybe they pulled those panels from time walker because didn't he do it no she was yes that was who that was the main artist but it was it uh, i'll have to find the the issue well but yeah go ahead i'm sorry no i mean it it, it's there's not much to explain um neela sethi uh says there's she comes to to faith and she's like i need your help you know she does, there's a riff on the Terminator line. She says, come with me if you want to save history. And, and she plucks Faith out of the, out of the time stream, and they, they fight this giant toaster-looking robot. And Faith, the robot's going around assimilating people, turning them into digital information and absorbing them. And, and Faith uh, is chosen to... Uh, to stop the robot and she can't she dies where she's assimilated and so neela writes herself a note and goes back in time and gives herself the note and says faith is not enough you know you need you need more people so so she does get more people she gets most of the valiant universe to help her um first of all she gets peter stanchek and and Torque, oh, yeah. yeah, and and Torque, you know the Renegades, and and they're not enough. And then she writes herself another note, and she gets most of the Valiant Universe. There's a there's a big ass spread, where you see, um, it's it's basically everybody. Um, Archer and Is there Armstrong. an underlying? I'm sorry. Is there an underlying? Um reason for all of them to have powers like is there a unifying who to have powers the valiant universe like is there a unifying like central point to why every like the people that have powers have powers yes and no well if you're talking psyots that psyots are the mutants of the valiant universe Mm -hmm. okay and and they get turned on by harada and Peter Stanchek, they they get activated, and usually it's fatal. And it's the ones that live that are very valuable, and they're they're superheroes or supervillains, right. right? Right. And and then you have the whole the the trinity with um of of brothers and the boon that you know fuck things up, but it also created a lot of uh, metahumans, right? So there is and there's not, but but. Um, so she recruits the lion's share of the Valiant universe, and I guess they're going to go up against the robot. But the thing I didn't like about it, it's very Groundhog Day. Mm. Like, you see sequences more than once. Like, when, uh. she, when she goes to Faith in, the, in her office, and as she's doing her little blogging thing, and, you know, the whole spiel, it is redrawn. Segovia and Kitson both draw it, but it's it's annoying to see mm-hmm. it to see it again, and it's it's subtly changed. But 
the Groundhog Day thing about this book totally killed it for me. Because I, I don't, I, I get it, but I don't want to see it again. And, or read it again. And you do have to read it again. Right. <laughs> and, and, and there's a lot of jokes about Doctor Who in it. A lot. That sounds good. And it's just like, ooh, this isn't Doctor Who. Time doesn't work this way. Dropped my cup. Time doesn't work this way. And it, it's, I, I wanted to like it because I love Valiant. I love these characters. I, it did absolutely nothing for me. Hmm. So there you go. Like, they're, I'll, I'll leaven the, the Listen, praise. I, I respect you keeping it real, right? Because I'm sure a lot of people just, there's got to be a chunk of our audience that hears, here's the Valiant talk and just they tune out because they're like, oh, right. boy. Right. I can do no wrong. Okay, we get yeah. it. Well, then since all right, then I'll the door is open. Ooh, the hater is continuing. I'll follow. I'll follow Vince's lead with this. Um, I read issues twenty nine, thirty, and thirty one of Superman. Woo. Okay. For a second, I thought you were about to go hater it on Batman. I was going to have to slap you across the microphone. <laughs> yeah, because I want I want talking to hate. The uh, I I've been telling Vince catch up on. It. I need you to read it. I got some questions for you, and this is all before twenty nine. I, I would say you don't need to read the next few issues because a they're not written by Peter Tomasi. Oh, who wrote uh, them? Well. 29 and 30 are written by Keith Champagne. Oh! Champagne. Yeah. And 31 is written by James Bonney. Oh, boy. So, uh, I'm pretty sure the Champagne issues were meant for um, one of the Green Lantern books. And Superman was going to guest appear. Oh, damn. Inventory? Well, yes. The one that really feels like an inventory is the first part of a story that takes place in number 31. Uh, Because it takes place, the events in this issue take place before Deathstroke, number 21. So it's before he starts up Defiance and has the kids working with him. Um, so it's still the mercenary Deathstroke. But 29 and 30, I was, I forgot I didn't read 29. And when I found 30, I was a little ticked because I thought, since I didn't know I missed 29, I thought 30 was the next issue I was to read because I thought, I thought 28 and 29 were, were the, uh, the, the Kent family road trip issues. And, and so the next issue was, was this one, but I, I was wrong, which I made the mistake. And, and I was originally going to be miffed because I thought I would have had to have read part one in a green lantern book. Uh, and then I was getting pissed because at no point, as I start to read number 30, there's nothing that says, you know, Hey, before you read any further, make sure you read this other issue that, that didn't exist. So then I found out that no fool, you just missed 29. So I read 29 and it takes the the story is about um, kids that have gone missing, and uh, and the art in the first part is uh, pencils by our boy Doug Monkey, and and again, which is why it also feels like a Green Lantern book because that's 
usually the Green Lantern artist, uh, inks by uh, Jaime Mendoza with Scott Hanna and Rob Hunter. And uh, Superman is going to help these parents. He's, he's trying to console them. He's telling them, you know, where everybody is doing what they can to find your kids. Because uh, he has to put on a, a brave face because God forbid anything would ever happen to John. And, and he went missing and uh, naturally Superman would lose his mind over it. So uh, he's trying to put himself in, in the parents' shoes, but let them know that, uh, you know, we're doing everything we can. And Jimmy Olsen comes around. He's taking photos of everybody, but all of the, uh, all the photos have like this, this yellow tint to them. They're all tinged yellow. And, and uh, he's got to mess around with his exposure. He's not, not quite sure what's going on. Superman is using um, his uh, his powers, and he's picking up these these this yellowish radiation from the foot from footprints. So so there's definitely something else going on, and and uh, he he has a sense that he knows why things are yellow. But then there's a caption box that says, you know, it figures Jess and Simon would both be off-world right now. Never a Green Lantern around when you need them. Now, Uh-oh. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think Jess is, is from what I was reading the Justice League story. I think she's Power Ring. And I guess Simon is the... Um, is is Simon Baz. Yeah. Um, so I don't... I've never read... I haven't read too many stories with, with either character in them. But there's no what the part that, that bugs me about that is that there is no no editors there's no footnotes there's no editors notes letting you know who these I mean yes he does say Green Lantern but you don't know who they're who he may be referring to and that wouldn't be a big deal except they they go overboard with the editors notes in the following issue so they're not it, it they use them in in weird places instead of where they could probably help the reader along so we get to the end of the issue. And um, Superman is face-to-face with uh, Parallax. And he is... uh, He... Parallax is going to destroy all the kids that he's kidnapped. Unless Superman basically gives himself up to Parallax. And he he does. and, And he's all decked out in in his yellow lantern uh parallax outfit uh, with the flowing cape and and all of a sudden hey you have a yellow ring that's mine here comes sinestro so the next issue is uh super parallax versus sinestro and that issue if you thought 29 if you thought i had problems with that issue 30 gives us uh art by Ed Bennis, Tyler Kirkham, oh, and Philip Tan. God damn! So, four dude, artists- time out. Before you get into it, can we talk uh, about this for a second? Like a broader, what the fuck is up with all these books doing like three, four it's double shipping? Like, is that what it is? You think? It's it's. I mean, it comes out every two weeks. So, but the other thing is, this doesn't feel like this doesn't feel like it was part of Tomasi's plan for the right. super book. So I don't know. Even if it's if even if it was an inventory issue, inventory issues are stories you have 
in a drawer that have been done for a while. You don't you don't need four different artists on an inventory. Stuff. Right, right, right. That's true. So again, I think they just I, I don't. It doesn't feel like this belongs. I, I it kind of it might make sense in maybe in action comics, but but in the Superman story that that Tomasi's been been telling, and no, because once once that first storyline wrapped up and then you had Clark and Lois and John going on their little summer trip. And then I guess eventually everybody's going to be in Metropolis. And then that's when the next story begins that, that, that Tomas is going to tell. But right now we still have other people writing Superman stories. So, you know, Tomasi wrote a year's worth of, of Superman stories. So, so fine, you know, let's, let, let's give the duty year uh, some time off. That's cool. I, I understand that, but it's just, it kind of puts a little bit of a bump in in the the smooth road I was going down with with what what Tomasi was doing. So, right. can we can we back up just a yes. little bit to what absolutely to what aim does Parallax want Superman? Like, okay, you give yourself to me, and well, I'll save all these kids. But why does he want Superman? Just to take him off the map. He, um, it's, it wouldn't he, it be, wouldn't he, it be better to get Hal off the map? Hal, Hal doesn't have Superman's power. So, I mean, now you're parallax and you have the ability to move mountains and not mm. just with your willpower. I mean, you are, you are physically a very imposing figure and, it was um he he um superman is not afraid of parallax mm-hmm. but uh, like he says in at the end of the first part you know this body is mine now and nothing can hurt parallax anymore so he 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 needs the shell he needs mm. the protection that 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 a superman cuz even cuz because as strong as Hal's will is, he's still human. You, you, twenty-four hours are up. You lose the ring. Hal can still be disposed of. So even if Parallax wanted to take over Hal again, there's still limitations that he'd have within Hal. Yeah, I gotta agree with you. I think it feels like Superman's just shoehorned into this story. It doesn't. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a super. Because, I mean. It could have been a Supergirl story. Any any really superpowered character in the DCU would yeah. fit. Like it doesn't have to be Superman, even though he's a top dog. Right. The the highlights, the few that there are in issue thirty, are the Weaponeers of Quard. They are straight up modeled after every Gil Kane drawing of of, of the Quardians, and I, nice. I it, it's fantastic. Fantastic! I, I love that's cool. Look at these dudes. Um, they uh, so you know it's Sinestro versus Superman. Sinestro ends up um, he does get the uh, the weaponers end up all getting together, taking Super Parallax down uh, because um, now that Sinestro brought him. Tuquard brought him underground. Uh, there is no sun to power him, so Sinestro has him um, all wrapped up. Um, 
Don't know what to do. <laughs> they, they, uh, Sinister's doing the whole Bond villain thing, talking about his plan, and and uh, really fucks with Superman. Brings a lot of his his fears uh, to light. He has you see the double page spread of of um, I believe these are the tan pages, but this is uh, John getting picked on. Um, everybody's screaming for Superman. We need you. We need your help. But he's not around. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm truly sorry, Miss Lane. It's progressed to stage four. You won't have much time left. Uh, there is a, there seems to be Wonder Woman and Aquaman taking on, and Flash, uh, taking on Super Doomsday. And, what? and it's, I'm, wait, wait, yeah, wait, 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 man with like long ass hair. I'll, I'll, uh, you can add this to the, to the show notes for the, for the gallery. Um, but what's great is Flash, <laughs> Flash is eating. I mean, doomsday knees him in the face and he is just like he is it's you barely see flash's head it's just all no, doomsday it's, it's booster bone. all over again yeah uh, and then there's uh it looks like john um i'm guessing with the titans fighting his father because that looks like rose or well in ravager garb uh and and so John's basically destroying Superman. So these are all just nightmares that uh, that Sinestro's giving him. And then Lysa Dark shows up, and and uh, basically Superman overcomes it all, tries to save the day, fights Sinestro for a bit, and uh, does his thing. But at the end of the issue, it, it says, you know, for the fate of Parallax, check out Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, number thirty. And thirty-one. So, so we'll get footnotes here to follow up on a story that started in Superman that I'm not going to follow into a Green Lantern comic. But then at the bottom it says, you know, the next issue, Apocalypse Now, and that isn't the next issue. The next issue is number thirty-one, titled uh, "Breaking Point," written by James Boney, art by Tyler Kirkham, and. I guess I'm just spoiled by how my Deathstroke has been looking in the priest-written series. Yeah, you were all, you were feeling some kind of way about this. Dude. I was like, I, you sent it to us, and I'm like, what? And then you, I, <laughs> you were like, I felt like if we were in the same room and I said, what? You would have pulled off your glove, and you would have slapped <laughs> me across the face with it. Just how dare you say it's? I mean, you guys see it's page in, in, in the Slack. It's like, I mean, Deathstroke is at his, is, is doing his best impersonation of a 90s mutant character it, it he is he is beyond bulky and it's he's massively huge for no reason at all and he's like that throughout the entire issue uh he's, he's bigger than superman in some cases he's just fucking huge for no reason and uh, he's like jinder mahal size it, it's just it's nuts and then that jinder mahal would you would you say he's pulling 50 pounds since they fired him Dude, it's all like, and it's all on his shoulders, bro. I mean, like he's terrible, like he can't <laughs> wrestle. But dude, is he not an incredibly looking? He's incredible looking, though. Yes. Oh, like no, he yes. he could be in a superhero movie, and you wouldn't think twice. No, absolutely. Yeah, you wouldn't. It'd be no CGI needed. He he looks intense. It's crazy. But go ahead. Um, no mercy get... this Sunday. Okay, good. Thanks. For... Oh, <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. Uh, <laughs> 
the Vince. Yes, my friend. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um but the, the 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 image of Lois on that last page that that's like straight up out of out of one of the uh, the manga books you you see previews of. No, it's pre- like a yaoi book, right? Uh, yes, I, I I didn't want to go there, especially since you know you were talking about the romance books earlier. I wasn't going to bring yaoi into it, but there are um, they're just it it's just it's not it's not a good look, and 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 so it continues next issue. I don't know how much longer the storyline is going to go on. Uh, I get it, you know, stories happen out of, uh, I'm not going to say chronological order, but it, it's, you know, yes, this this story was written, and, and the characters in it aren't who they are right now, also on the stands, but um, that's fine. But it's just, it, it again, it feels like this, we already had Superman show up in Deathstroke a couple times, which, mm-hmm. is, which is cool, but, you know, since this is before... It's just, I'm not, I was just so, I don't want to say disappointed, but I was let down. I was, because as I've been, I've been feeling Superman, just like Vince with the Valiant, you know, hey, it's, I'm loving this, this, and this, this not so much. It's, it's very hard for me to, especially since, uh, even, you know, Christopher Burton on, on the Slack, we were talking about the last couple issues of Superman. And, and, and if you're going from issue 27, he's talking about being on the short list for his you know, single issue of the year on the 11 o'clockers. And, and it, it's, it kind of hurts when you have that and two issues later, you're like, I don't, I, this isn't even the same book. It, it, it hurt, but it's, uh, and you know, if you've been, if these past three issues, Uh Oh, what's going on? We lost the Dapster. Get out of here. He's still there in the slack. Maybe he hit the, the mute. Come back, Dap. Yikes. Doesn't look he like he's... Him. Yeah, doesn't look like he's gonna. But he's still on my screen. No, he's still there. Yeah, what's going on? Oh. Oh, we just lost him. He's not there anymore. Power outage. This is not good radio, folks. No. You know what, though, Vince? We'll segue for a second. Do it. We'll, we'll wait for our man to come back and reconnect. Um, so, we are two weeks away from New York Comic Con. Amazing. And as we were saying right before we recorded, that is a legitimate shock. It has been a busy year. Um, we've done a much better job, I think, this year of hanging out outside of cons, which has been awesome. Mm-hmm. We just saw each other last month at my crib. Um, I knew New York Comic Con was coming up, but I really did think it was about a month away. And then I realized today that it is, in fact, two weeks from now, you will be at my house hanging out with me, which is awesome. Um, but I wanted to, if I may be so bold, even though I didn't clear this with, with my booze, I have an idea, a patron idea, that's tied into New York Comic Con. <laughs> go ahead. You want to let me go with it? I cannot stop you from doing anything. Do it. All right, cool. Okay, so for our patrons, and we will put this in the Patreon um, after the show, but for our patrons, here's what we're going to offer. Um, y'all know that we we chatted up with lots of folks at the show. This year, New York's going to be different for us. We, we made a commitment after last year um, to just try to enjoy ourselves a little bit more. And I don't mean that to say that we didn't enjoy ourselves in previous years, but New York has become its own cultural, like... 
I don't even know, like tent pole. It's 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 become a behemoth. It's it's uh, 150,000 people a day. It's jam packed. And again, it has its charm. We have fun, but this year we just really wanted to kind of refocus on making it an experience about enjoying the company and the medium and not so much the hustle. And and look, let's be clear. When when we talk about the hustle, we're talking mainly about me running around all over the place trying to get art <laughs> and I fully own that. So here's the thing. So what we said was we're going to be we're going to be pretty chill this year. We're we're going to not spend 100% of the time at the show. We're going to spend 100% of the time in New York hanging out with our friends, chatting up life, the universe, comics. Um, and our patrons will get the benefit of that because we will record a ton of audio and video at the show. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, even though it hasn't happened yet, this will be a absolute crushing, earth-shattering record for content that we're going to produce at the show. Would you agree? I would hope. Yes. Okay. But here's the thing. For our patrons, we'll, we will – this is what I want you to do. Go to New York Comic Con – Dot com. Look at the list at Artist Alley. There are almost 400 attendees. The top three people that you nominate, and we'll just let it be democratic, every vote counts. You each name three creators that you would like to see us chat with. The three largest vote getters, we will do our very best, barring them saying, absolutely, we don't want to talk to you to get some audio and or video content of us chatting with them. How's that sound? It works for me. Cool. So NewYorkComicCon.com, go on to Patreon. If you're a patron, we will have a post set up for it. And you just give us the top three people that you'd like to see us chat with. And we will do our absolute very best to try to get some content from them over the four-day show. Nice. Yeah. It's something we would do anyway. Well, we, we're going to talk to lots of creators. We're going to get bumpers. We're going to chat with some. We're going to video with some. We're going to go out to dinner with some. But there's also a couple hundred that we might either not talk to because we don't know them, because they're not a priority. And so if our patrons drop three people on us that we just have no connection with, it'll be an interesting challenge. I agree. So, so there you go. Patreon dot com slash eleven o'clock comics, which is one one O C L O C K C O M I C S. Um and uh yeah, let us hear your thoughts. I like it. And um we are still waiting for our man Dap. He is still not here. Yeah. So while we are waiting for him to reconnect, let me also shout out our two new um uh Illuminati level patrons. And for those that aren't aware, our Illuminati-level patrons are those that uh, pledge um, $10 or more a month. And that gets you a shout-out on the show as well as many other things. But uh, but uh, per that, I want to give a shout-out to – hold on one second. Let's see. To Mr. Pinkie Pie. <laughs> or Mrs. It. Pinkie Pie, frankly. I, actually, I don't know if it's Mr. or Mrs. Uh, it's obviously a, a pseudonym, but thank you either way. And uh, Mr. Chris P. Awesome. Who I'd like to think is Chris Pitzer. Mm-hmm. But I don't know for sure that it is. Yes, we have to investigate that. And Vince, as you are so ever so clamoring for, we are very, very close to our next reward tier, which is what? 
two or more extra episodes per month. That's right. And just to put a finer point on it, as we record, we are less than 5% away from that goal. Mm. We are $72 away from six episodes or more a month. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I have something I would like to talk about. And yeah, do it. It 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 kind of sucks that Dap isn't here because. Not have you heard s- from him, by the way? No, he said he's going to restart. Um, okay. Dap would really appreciate this. You eh, you're probably going to take this or leave this. Wow. I'm just saying because whenever I get into the wayback machine. Oh, you're going lost in space, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to get lost <laughs> in lost in space. I'm lost in my pause button. I'm sorry. Uh, I read all 18 issues and two annuals of Innovation's Lost in Space series. And it was pure joy for me. Really? Yes. Yeah. Now, take me back. Were you a fan of the original source material? Very much so. Yeah. Okay. Um, The TV series ran from 1965 to 1968. And just to put this in perspective... The you were com- born in 65, right? I, I was, yeah. yeah. The the comic series ran from August of 1991 to November of 1993. Now, now do the math. That's a, a whole lot of years between 1968 and 1991. And um, the very first issue contains a, a very interesting and informative text piece uh, from David Campiti, who I am a, a friend of on the Facebooks. But... Um, David Campiti was the the uh, the guy who got this thing going. He's also uh, one of the writers on the project. Um, but this series, this innovation series, marks the very first time the Lost in Space characters were featured in comics. Now, you you might say if you're an old timer like me, wait, 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 wait a minute. What about Gold Keys, Space Family Robinson, Lost in Space? Not the same characters. Uh, so a whole bunch of time has gone by. And in the 90s, we actually got a Lost in Space series that was a continuation, an embellishment of the original series. Same characters, mostly the same um, concepts and, 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 and uh, idea behind the, the series. But did you know, there's going to be a lot of did you knows in, in this. Did you know? Did you know that Lost in Space was designed to compete with the Adam West Batman in the ratings? I had zero idea about that. Yeah, because, I mean, when it started, it went from black and white to color. But when it started, it was basically the family and their plight. Isn't one of the dudes from Planet of the Apes in that? No. Yeah. No. Um, the family's plight to, to, to find Alpha Centauri, right? And... Um, towards the end of the series it became like a villain of the week type thing got really goofy towards the end and uh basically in response to batman because batman was chewing up the ratings i mean everybody was watching batman so uh was it really though batman yeah it was popular sure dc nice. even changed their the the batman comic to to mirror the series in some ways um but uh in in the first issue there's a text piece and uh, Compiti goes through the whole how the Lost in Space series came to be. 
uh, he was talking to somebody from Viacom, and he mentioned, you know, I, I would I would love to do a Lost in Space comic series. And so one thing led to another, and poof, innovation gets the license. Simultaneously, it was announced over in CBG, and that's why, you know, it would be cool if, if David was here, because he'd giggle. It was announced in CBG that Valiant was reviving the gold key Space Family Robinson with somebody very special writing it. None other than Billy Mumy, who played Will Robinson in Lost in Space. So and and in the in the in the interview, Mumy kinda laments over the fact that it wasn't Lost in Space proper that he was writing. Uh, and you know it was it, that it would be nice to continue with those characters. So Compiti, you know, rings him up and says, "Dude, I got the license. You want to write it?" And Bill Mumy actually writes some of the issues in this run. Mm-hmm. That that's very cool. That Danger Will Robinson is actually writing because who knows these characters better than someone that actually participated in the show, right? Right. Um. And did you know? If we're going to go all the way back to uh, the original Lost in Space, Erwin Allen, the master of disaster himself, actually funded the pilot on spec. Really? Yeah, he didn't... Th- there was no green light from any studio. He just did it. And um, the, the original pilot episode is called No Place to Hide. It was never aired on TV. And the episode does not feature... Both the robot and Doctor Smith—they're not—they're nowhere to be found in the episode. It's so different. Well, the 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 uh, the feel is different because you don't have that antagonistic thing with Doctor Smith going on, and you know the robot's just playing eye candy. But um, Debbie the Bloop is in the first episode, so everything's good. Um, mm-hmm. But. This Lost in Space series now was produced in the 90s, so some of the 90s leached into it. Um, Issue number one, it was developed and edited by David Campiti and George Broderick Jr., written by Campiti and Matt Thompson. This is where it gets weird. Illustrated by Eddie Newell. Now, this artist did a few pages and bailed. They couldn't get in touch with him, just fell off the face of the earth. So... They scrambled, right? Who do we get to illustrate this thing? We got a first issue that's taken forever to get out, solicited. We got to get this thing out. So they pulled artist Mark Jones from their Quantum Leap comic to finish the job. About the TV show? Yeah. Love that show. Not a fan. Um, What? Yeah, I don't like that show at all. You know, it's amazing we're such good friends. Like we, I, I'm we sorry. Such, I, our concentric circles are not yeah, very overlapping. I just uh, Quantum Leap was one that I was like, eh, what else is on? Um, sorry, but uh, color art by sorry Scott. About Doctor Who. Oh, is he here? He is here. Dak is here. Yeah, I'm gonna add I didn't him. Inter- I didn't want to interrupt your flow. No, that's all right. We'll just add him to the call. There we go. Okay. We'll wait till he connects, and it looks like he is. Oh, man, there he is. There's his little face. I see him. You have to to say a quick New Year's prayer or something? Uh, I guess Skype was uh, taking the New Year off. Yeah. Well, it is a Microsoft product, so it sucks. Um, So I'm talking about Lost (sighs) in Space. 
That's yeah. what you're talking about. Lost in Space. From, oh, inno- from Innovation. From innovation, yes. Um, in the first issue, the Jupiter 2 land, lands in a spot with all these weird-looking plants. And it turns out that the ship being in proximity to these plants disrupts the feeding cycle. There's giant insect-like creatures and and the family, namely Will and Penny, they save the day. But that's not really the big picture. The real story occurs when Will tries to upgrade the robot. He's tinkering with the robot and he, he equips it with some kind of weapons. Um, and here's a fun fact. The license holder would not let innovation modify the appearance of the robot. The silhouette had to be exactly the same. All of the the detail in the robot had to be exactly like it was in the TV show. So whenever the robot uses his weapons, they like pop out like a Swiss army knife and then they pop back in because you can't change the appearance of the robot. So Will's modifying the robot. He's tinkering with it and he removes a memory card. And Dr. Smith gets his hand on the memory card, and he's looking at it. He's like, son of a bitch. The robot recorded all of Dr. Smith's backroom double dealings because he was the saboteur on the original mission. He was, they were, he was the one who was tried to, you know, Jupiter 2 must not find another place to live. And he inadvertently got, it was a stowaway aboard the Jupiter 2, and that's how the whole thing started. But, um... The Jupiter program, we find out on this memory chip, was made possible through technology culled from crashed alien spaceships. It's just like us with Roswell, right? All your little iPhone things wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for that crash in Roswell, 1947. Um, But worse yet, Smith was in cahoots with the aliens to sabotage the Jupiter 2. And you see the aliens, and they're all shadowy and shit, and they're like, did you do it? And... uh, so it it puts kind of another layer on what we know, and they updated it, you know, for 90 sensibilities. But it gets really weird with issue number two. Now, I'm obviously not going to go issue by issue. There's 18 issues, two annuals, but I'm going to make my point. I'm getting to it. Issue number two, written by George Broderick Jr., illustrated by Matt Thompson, who does a hell of a lot better job than Mark Jones and Eddie Newell. Uh, Matt Thompson is in the Gray Morrow vein. Very tasteful, very exquisite figure drawing. The characters look like who they're supposed to look like without being stock poses or, you know, stock shots from, from the TV show. Um, and this is guys, the second issue has a Star Trek vibe to it because it, I could see Kirk, Spock, and McCoy being in the same position as Judy, Don, Dr. Smith and Maureen, they're, they're doing experiments. Uh, Maureen is, of course, June Lockhart. They're, they're doing experiments on the, on the surface of the planet, and a storm hits, right? Like, oh, shit, we got to get to the chariot. And they're like, no, Dr. Smith is like, there's a cave right here. Let's, let's go into the cave. And it's a really bad idea because as soon as they enter the cave, they hear this drip, 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 and, and reality washes away, and they're their reality is supplanted by their happiest moments. The cave is like a giant Venus flytrap. It, it, it's, it's mesmerizing them and it's lulling them into this, this pleasure mode 
with their fondest memories while the 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 floor of the cave is starting to grow above like up their legs like trapping them it's really cool but the thing i want to talk about is their fondest moments maureen became pregnant with a boy after she gave birth to judy and penny and will she became pregnant again with a boy dr smith was madly in love with a colleague named clarissa and the woman agreed to be his wife. Like, she loves him, too. Like, what the hell's going on? Um, Don West is tooling around with his childhood friend, Brad. And it's, you know, fun shenanigans. And Judy is singing and dancing uh, up a storm as a member of a... She's she's in Cats or something. And, you know, because that's her thing. Um, but here's where it gets really weird. How did they break the hold that this, this cave have over them? If they're all happy and shit with their fondest memories, it turns out all of their fondest memories have a dark side. And that's what shakes them loose and brings them back to reality. Like, Maureen was pregnant, but she lost the baby. Mm. And Judy's friend, while she's doing this Cats thing, Judy's friend was also a member of the cast. And the director told Judy that, you know, your, your friend's not going to cut it. She's out. And in response to that, the girl commits suicide. And Judy finds her body in the tub, like she slashed her wrists, and you know she's dead. Um, Don witnesses the Challenger disaster, and that puts a serious crimp in his plans for for being an astronaut. Mm-hmm. And and Doctor Smith, this is the horrible part. Doctor Smith was responsible for the death of his one true love. Because oh. because she's like, I'm going to be just like you. I'm going to go on board this Jupiter 1. And Jupiter 1 blew up on the launch pad. And he was responsible for her being there. So maybe that's why Dr. Smith is such a dick. It's, it's, huh. it, it's nuts. You know what I mean? Like This is a really cool issue. Um, and Billy Mumy comes on with issues 3 and 4 and writes. Yeah. And, but the thing is about this series... And it's a little disturbing, and it's a little bit titillating, I guess. Um, it is the 90s, right? So Judy, um, who was a beautiful woman um, in the original series, uh, Judy was played by Marta Kristen, and she's gorgeous, right? And her and Don are, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend, and it's cute and everything. But in this series, the women... Even June Lockhart, to a certain extent, they're hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. Like Judy is is a gorgeous blonde, and she's shapely, and often is shown with her uniform. Her space space suit gets ripped in all the right places, and you got the cleavage and everything, and that's cool because Judy was in the series. I'm assuming of age, like or at least bordering on legality. Penny, on the other hand, was not. And Penny in this series, she's walking around in negligees on the Jupiter 2. There's, in, in, in Bill Mumy's two issues, these aliens get their hands on Penny and they're roughing her up and they rip her spacesuit. And it's like, it's Penny, dude. She's like, what, 13, 14 years old? And it, but not, in this series, you would not think that Penny was that young. I mean, she's drawn to be almost the same age as Judy. And it's like, it's a little creepy. 
but it's also like a little little cool, right? That's all I'm saying. Um, and it, it's the it's very nineties. They're they're well, there's it's also innovation. It right. They did that with everything they did. I know, like it, Hero Alliance, the 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 breasts were the were everywhere. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but I had so much fun with this series. I read the entire 18 issues and two annuals and so 20 I, comics. Damn. Yeah. But, and I, I didn't want to go deep on it because I, I do love you. And I know that you have a very <laughs> medium tolerance for this kind of stuff, but I just got to say it going back. I, I read the first like two or three issues when they came out. And for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I just, I pulled back and I, I wasn't feeling it at the time. I went so I, I revisited it, and it's like, it's awesome. Well, that's great. And you can get these for a song. There's there's a stretch towards the end where I think it's like 15, 16, and 17. They go for like maybe 4 to $6 a piece. But uh, they changed the, they tweaked the title, made it another volume, and there was like this mini series within a series. And for some reason, those issues go for more. But the majority, the bulk of this run, you can get for like two bucks a pop or less. It is That's well, cool. yeah, it's well worth investigating, um, especially if you're a fan of the original show, which I was. It's just fun time, you know, all, mm-hmm. all around. There's a, you don't have to put too much stock into it. Usually, they're done in ones or done in twos, and it's it's just enjoyable. Uh, Wayback Machine comics. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad Dap is back. Me too. What happened, Dap? I. Everything looked fine on my end. Every I, I was still online. I was still in Slack. Everything was great. But uh, above, uh, on the top of Skype, it said connecting. So I tried to send you guys a message, and it just kept looping around, saying sending. Nothing was happening. Everything else was still fine. I restarted Skype. It wouldn't connect. At that point, I just decided to restart the MacBook, and and that's what did it. But I have no idea what uh, what caused Skype to just disconnect like that. Hmm. And and I uh, I even I started a new um, file in case it's needed for the recording. Mm-hmm. And I just forgot to mention that. Um, with issues three and four, Michael Dukevich comes on, and his art is fantastic. Phenomenal. Nice. Great. Can I gush about something else? Again, with the questions. No, <laughs> you can't. I did it on purpose. Well, purposefully tell us what you're going to talk about there. This is a book we talked about the first issue, and then we all kind of slept on it. And then I reread it now that I got the trade in my hands, and I don't know why we slept on it. What you talking about? Ether. Right. Oh, yeah, no, I was yeah, waiting for we it to did. finish to get back to it. But yes, yes. So Matt Kent, or boy, David Rubin, my boy. <laughs> Love that motherfucker. Um, yeah, I got the trade in my hands. I guess it came like maybe a month ago, um, but I finally hooked up on it. It's um, uh, it's just a, man, it, I mean, I don't, I got to tell you, like, 30 years from now when we're done doing this show. <laughs> I don't you're know, done. Like, I won't be done. Well, you'll you'll be dead. You'll be dead. Holy <laughs> oh, um, We'll have a little Vinny as, as your new feeling. It'll be like, it'll be like, uh, it'll be like John Bonham getting replaced by his son. I, I can, um, I can tell you what's going to happen. You'd be like, so Vinny, what'd you read? 
Oh, nothing. Reading sucks. There you go. <laughs> That's what he'll do. But in all seriousness, um, so you know, huge, huge Matt Kinney fan, and and obviously with no hyperbole, uh, David Rubin is probably my favorite cartoonist that I've discovered in the time we've done the show. Hmm. Yeah, I just, you know, it's just, I mean, art is subjective, and for some reason, when I look at Rubin's art, it just makes me happy. It just, it just makes me elated. Um, but uh, so Ether is, uh, you know, their collaboration, and we did again. This some of this can be a bit redundant because we did talk about the first issue, but um, the premise is uh, Boone Diaz, who is a um, American scientist and empiricist, um, doesn't believe in magic. But he does believe that you can cross into parallel realities, universes, dimensions, what have you. And uh, in a way, it's sort of like Wizard of Oz in that he's he propels himself into this other world uh, by design and then solves mysteries in this world. But he uses science to solve mysteries in a world that is largely based on the true uh, the, the idea of magic. Um, and he's asked to solve the murder of the blaze and the blaze is the champion of this other universe. She's the person that keeps the evil from encroaching on their good lands. And she's killed mysteriously uh, in the castle that is also lived in by the mayor. And uh, Bundias is brought, brought on to uh, solve this crime. And uh, he has a suspect in mind who is the, uh, the head of the library um, and he's very evil looking. Uh, David Rubin does not does not uh, hide his uh, his intentions with the way that he draws the characters. Um, but you know, when we when, I think if I recall, when we all talked about the first issue, we liked it, but it didn't. I don't know for some reason it didn't pull us in to keep doing it month to month. Um, but I feel stupid for that now because having read the trade, it's fucking intensely great. It's so good. It's so good. It's ridiculous. Like, like first of all, um, when when these when these when Boone or anyone else jumps into this other dimension, for every week that they're there, a year passes here, and that becomes a major issue because one of the reasons he ends up finding this place in the first place is that he falls in love on our Earth with a woman named Hazel, and. He's from jump, just pure scientific, like pure fact is fact, science is science. Everything has an explanation. We may not know what the explanation is yet, but it does have an explanation, right? And then he meets this girl, Hazel, this pretty little ingenue. And she's like, nah, son, there's magic. And, uh, you know, he's not really trying to hear it, but he's, 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 he's in love with her and he wants to get in that pants. So he's trying to juxtapose his view of the world being all about science with her view of there being magic. And um, eventually he figures out a way and he, well, first of all, he, he confirms that this other dimension world exists. She's not making it up. And then he travels to it and he's trying to decipher it. He's trying to study it to, to understand what, what really powers it from his perspective. What, what we think of as magic is actually what's really happening from a scientific perspective and he essentially becomes an addict. 
He can't not go there. But there's a problem with that, right? Because, again, every time he goes there for a week, it's a year in our time. So he falls in love with Hazel. And I don't know if I should spoil. I probably shouldn't. But but they have a like, – they, 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 they start a life here together, you know, and, and all the things that go with starting a life here, um, marriage, et cetera, et cetera. And his addiction to this other place, the ether, is – problematic for that right because when he goes off for a week to do some studying she's alone here for a year you know and it's a problem um but it's such a magical book man like like man i like rubin just creates this crazy tapestry um for example they they go to hop into a cab in the ether and it's a giant flying jellyfish um they go to this library place and it's this cavernous MS Escher um, almost almost defies the laws of physics uh, place where where you can find knowledge about anything you know um, and at this point in the story Boone is an older gentleman. Right. He's, he's it's clear that he's been in the ether for for many, many years and he's made friends and colleagues. And in some ways, he's like Sherlock Holmes and that he solved a lot of a lot of mysteries over the years. And as a result, he's owed favors and so forth, so on. Um, and uh, as we talked about when we reviewed the first issue, the cool thing is that is that he can't stay in the ether in indefinitely. Um, for some reason, the uh, you know, the physics or the science of that world make it such that he can't really eat there. Like his human physiology can't eat the food there and digest it. And so he gets to these points where he's having intense hunger or weakness. And that draws him back out into our, our earth. And in our earth, he is an older homeless man that people think is a lunatic because he's disheveled and skinny and emaciated and always hungry. And, you know, so people just think of him as like one of those crazy guys you see on a New York subway. But the reality is he's a, renowned scientist who is just back on earth for as long as it takes for him to eat enough to have his energy back, to get back to the ether. Um, but throughout the whole arc, which we didn't really get in the first issue, um, we learn more and more about his relationship with Hazel, who is his love. And also the one that's trying to convince him that it's not just about science. And we discover that Hazel has also been to the ether and her experiences in the ether were unfortunately horrifying. Um, and that plays a part, I think, at least as I read it, in why Boone is so committed to figuring out what makes the ether tick. And for a while, you're left wondering what happens to, to, uh, to Hazel. And we do find out in the first arc what happens to Hazel. Uh, and also a huge reveal, which I'm not going to spoil here because I think it's a big part of the story. But there's a lot of complexity to Boone and Hazel's relationship, both then and now and in the future. And uh, I just, you know, I've read this story and it's it's like 120 pages, five issues. And I'm just always just floored by Matt Kent's ability to, to craft a story. I don't care what he's writing about, whether it's a 30 foot tall man or a thief of movie chairs or two sisters who are spies together. 
he always finds a way to make me care about these characters in such quick fashion. I mean, it's hard to make a, a person at our age that's read as much fiction as we've read to have a genuine emotional connection to a character that we're introduced to for a few pages, right? I mean, it, it's we've been there, done that, but Kent is somehow able to connect with me on that level where I just root for his characters in such a profound way. And I'm left after this first arc so clamoring to know more about what's going to happen with Boone and his compatriots in the ether. Um, and, you know, Rubin, who, God, I mean, you know, if we're talking bucket list, I, I, I need Rubin to draw me something. I just need it. But um, he has so much fun creating this other world. You know, there's this part of the world that they visit where it's a world of excess. And so it's a place where everything you ever needed is there and more. Um, and he has fun with that. There's, there's, there's a part where it's almost like Oz, where it's like an Emerald City. Um, he just, just has so much fun playing with the um, insanity or the abstract nature of what another dimension might look like versus ours. Uh, but yet it never gets in the way of the heart of the story, which is ultimately a story about a few human beings. So, man, I got to tell you, like, uh, shame on me and y'all for not keeping up with the ether on an issue to issue basis, because it's fucking magnificent. I mean, Kent is just magnificent, dude. Like, it's like, I think if, if I had to choose between Kent and Remender and Lemire, I'd just let someone shoot me in the head. You're actually going to pick. I was just like, stop. It's that hard. It's that hard. It is. I agree. And I and I am sorry for falling off that. Yes. Glad you brought it to our attention. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's 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 genuinely great. It's it's by Dark Horse. Um, so is it done now? Is it finished? I don't think one, so. I, I mean, I hope not. I mean, the volume one is. I I it doesn't. The story's definitely not resolved. So I'm hoping there's more to come. Um, Rubin is doing that that uh, Frankenstein book with Lemire right now. Right. So I don't think we're going to get something in the next few months, but I certainly hope it's it's not over because it wasn't written to be over. Well, you heard the news about Rumble, right? Rubin's doing Rumble. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I guess it's going to be a while. But what is Heron doing? Whatever he wants. Right, much. but I, that's what I'm saying. I wonder what, what, <laughs> what he's if, doing. Whatever, so, whatever Felix can get people to pay for. <laughs> then, when, well, then Jerome takes another break. There you go. Yeah. It's an embarrassment of riches is what it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, you earlier when you were saying Toby was the the love child of um, Mafud and Pope, to me, Rubin is... If we're mapping that spectrum out, Rubin is like if if Pope is a is a ten on that spectrum artistically of a certain style, Rubin's like a nine, eight and a half, right? Like he's, I'm not saying in terms of relative quality. I'm saying in terms of like Rubin is very much more in that Pope school than say a Mafud school. Um, you know, he's not a, he's not a clone though. He's he's not like he's not trying to mimic Pope, but but no. there's a lot there that's similar. Whereas like, Raphael, whereas like a Raphael Grampa is much more like messy and organic on the other side of the spectrum. Okay. 
You don't agree? I do. I just don't know if I would use. I know what you what, what the intent was. I don't know if I mm-hmm. would use this, the word messy with Grandpa. Oh, um, my food's messy. He's no, inten- right. he's yeah, intentionally no, my food messy. Is messy. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. Uh, yeah, Grandpa's just like I don't know. Yeah, what is the word then? Um, like organic, like organically complex. Yeah, but he makes it look stylistically. It's very detailed. But right. he he's got that quietly thing going on where he shapes forms in a way where you immediately recognize it as being his hands behind the shaping. Right. Like you see a quietly face and you're like, all right, that's Frank Quietly. Mm-hmm. Why? Because puffy lips, you know, distorted features. I think Grandpa has that same thing, albeit in a different way, if that right. makes any sense at all. No, I hear you. Art's Grandpa's, wonderful. Grandpa's another one of those guys where he hasn't really done that much comics. No. But but he's got a crazy big reputation. Yeah, and he does. He has an awesome portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Dap, did you um where where are you with Doctor Strange? Uh I did not finish Jason Aaron's running. I think I'm an issue or two behind. Oh, okay. I'll catch up on that for next week. Didn't you talk about the Nico Hendrickson stuff, though? No, all I did was mention that he's the artist. He's, he's going to be oh, the artist, you, and then okay. when Donnie comes on, it's going to be uh, Walter. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I finished. I read um, 17 through 25 of Doctor Strange. Nice. And, yeah. And which encompasses the end of the Aaron Bacalo run, and then um, the uh, Dennis Hopeless, Nico Henriksen, which I think is just an arc. Yeah. Uh, which ties into um, uh, what the hell's the name of this thing? Uh, Secret Empire? Secret Empire. <laughs> <laughs> I just reviewed it last week. What the hell's the name, name of this thing? I know. Um, the Aaron Bacalo thing, super cool. Uh, the highlights are most of most of their run was dealing with the empirical and the end of magic. Now they're trying to pick up where they left off. Um, magic is back, but uh, but in, in a lot of ways it's not. And Strange is going around trying to acquire as many uh, magic artifacts as possible, uh, and you know both because he needs them, but also to keep them out of the hands of Narrow Dwells uh, and his. His uh, his right hand woman, the librarian, um, Strange gets poisoned, and it's a mystical poison, so there's no cure for it. So the only way you can keep him from dying is to transfer the poison to another host. So his librarian protege takes the poison on um, to save his life, and then Strange obviously is not trying to feel that, so um, he inserts. Uh, remember in uh, Wrath of Khan. When uh, they drop that little like wormy thing in Chekhov's ear, yeah, but the new yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they kind of do that to her, only down her throat, her throat, and it cures her. And I'm not quite sure what it is, but somehow it cures her. But then it also makes her forever beholden to the mystic arts, and so it's like a big risk. 
And like you know how in this book with uh, throughout this this series, um, Strange is eating like really nasty stuff. Yes, because he can't digest normal food anymore. Right. So now she's that way. She has to eat this really nasty stuff. And uh, and I guess the big reveal is that Wong feels some kind of way about it, and he bounces. So Wong is no longer Strange's right hand man. He goes off on his own. So Strange is left with just his uh, his protege and him in the in the mansion, uh, the Sanctum, um, and that's kind of how their end their their arc ends. And then you get to the hopeless Henriksen thing, which is a much more straightforward thing. Where um, during Secret Empire, one of the things that Cap does is he uh, he um, puts a dark force shield up around New York City because so many of the uh, world's heroes are based in New York City. It's actually kind of smart. And um, so they're trying to figure out how to get out of the dark force. And Strange is involved in that, needless to say, but he doesn't have most of his power, so it's hard for him. And that arc with uh, Henriksen and Hopeless is essentially he and a bunch of other Avengers trying to figure out how to break that dark that dark force shield and, uh, and help battle uh, Secret Invasion. So I would say that the interesting thing about Henriksen's art is it's much different to me than what we saw from um, uh, what's oh god huh, I, I, I'm blanking out the uh, the OGN that uh, he did with uh, Vaughn. Dad, wait that who did with Vaughn? Nico Henriksen oh the Pride of Baghdad yeah thank you um, it's much different it's less detailed than the Pride of Baghdad was a little looser. It almost looks a little bit like Brandon Stoko in some places with the human with the human anatomy. Oh. Um, but it's still super cool, and it's essentially Baron Mordo versus Strange and some other heroes. Um, and it was highly satisfying. So, uh, and then it culminates in a 25th issue, which is uh, drawn by Kevin Nolan, um, which was its own thing, and it was cool too, like a kind of a one shot. Uh, before we set up to the new, the new, the new newness, the the, I guess the Marvel legacy or post legacy reality. So, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it was a hell of a run, man. Like I, I got to say, like Aaron and and Bacalo was what like a two year run, and it was it was terrific. So even though that's all we got, it was it was a, a dope four arcs from them, which were highly satisfying. Nice. Scotty's gonna smack you. Why? Bicello. It's Bocello? Yeah, that's what Scotty told us. I can't ever remember. I know. You want to say it how it's spelled. Believe me, I know. know. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm down with it. I started Strange. I read the first two trades. Hardcovers, actually. And then, again, I fell off it. It's it's a problem. There's There's too many good things to read. Yeah. What else do we have? And I got some of them are good. Yeah, that's a problem with this week. There was things I read that I just did not enjoy. Right. Have you guys been keeping up with the Aquaman? Uh, I did not read this past week's. I think it might be one or two issues behind, but yeah. Yeah, Dude, I know I read 26. 26? Yeah. Stefan Sedgik, he's mostly done Top Cow stuff. Mm-hmm. And which, so I was blade? never. Yeah, I was never like a huge fan as a result but hot damn dude he is putting it 
down on this arc of Aquaman. I mean, I'm going to be so bold to say Aquaman is a top three series of DC right now. No doubt. No doubt? Yeah, no doubt with that art. Yeah, it should be. If it's not selling that well, it should sell that well. I have no idea how it's selling. I'm just saying, like, for me, it's Batman by Tom King and his assorted artist partners. It's Harley Quinn and Aquaman. Wow. Those are my three favorite DC series. Look at that. Wow. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I, I think this arc of... Um, yeah, no, this... Uh, I've read through 28, and we're getting near the end of this arc, but, um, you know, where we stand is Arthur has been spending much of this um, this, re- this rebirth uh, reality, you know, as king, but he's been a contested king. Um because he's trying to make peace with 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 the mainlands and and it's been tumultuous. They they have accused him of things and it's been it's been combative. Um, and he gets ousted uh, by a despot um, who is a true Atlantean, and so they oust him. He is uh, believed to be dead, uh, and then he um, shows up in the kind of like the barrio of Atlantis. Uh, the ninth yeah. level, they call it, um, kind of like the forgotten place where all the the poor and the suffering and the mutants live. And she uh, and he he becomes a revolutionary down there uh, with people making the connection that he's Arthur. Um, and in the meantime, the new king has leveraged magic to create this um, this magic shell around Atlantis, which is essentially impregnable. And so Mara is outside of the shell, and she's been trying desperately to break through, uh, and she doesn't know what to do, so she enlists the aid of Tempest, formerly known as Aqualad, who is now a member of the Teen Titans, or the Titans, I should say. And uh, I guess Tempest used to be a magic wielder, um, and I'm presuming this is all well within DC continuity, but I admittedly haven't read much with with regard to Tempest, so I'm just going by what they tell me in the book. Um, But she finally convinces Tempest, even though he's he's uh, disavowed the use of magic to help her try and break down the shield. And in the meantime, um, Arthur has partnered up with dolphin to try and, uh, curry, no pun intended, uh, favor within the depths. And uh, you can see where this is all coming to a culmination of, of, of all of them getting together and fighting for rebellion. Um, and I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know if it's going to end with Arthur, back being king or not. Um, but uh, it's a super fun political intrigue book with lots of action, and Sedgwick's art is just stunning. I mean, the, the character designs, uh, it, it jaw-dropping. I mean, legitimately jaw-dropping. The dude is, is an incredible artist, and uh, I, uh, I feel bad for not giving him his due over the years because if, uh, if Witchblade looks half as good as this, then Witchblade was worth reading. It looks good, but it's baby steps. It doesn't look... Uh, as accomplished as the stuff that he's throwing down in Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't fetish that art too much. Why? He's digital. Oh, no, I know I'm not going to own it, but I'm yeah. saying it's it works for me, though. It would be nice if he actually did it on paper, but I'm, yeah. I'm almost certain that he's digital. The Witchblade stuff was definitely digital. I'm guessing mm-hmm. that if he can work that fast, that quickly, that he wouldn't change his... Uh, his process. No, it's, it, it is genuinely draw dropping stuff. I mean, uh, I mean, wow. 
kudos to him. You know. Yeah, he's great. And and also, by the way, uh, we've mentioned such, it, Dan Abnett's writing it, and it's just a reminder to me of, of I don't know that I've ever read a comic that Abnett wrote that I didn't like. Right. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's pretty much true. Yeah. I can't think of any offhand. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right, let's bring it home. Dap, you have anything to add before we uh, put a nail in this coffin? Uh, let's see. Um, while I was away, <laughs> you only talked about uh, Lost in Space? That's it. That's it, man. Um, I have my inner travels, but we could probably do one more quick tag team. On right. what? What you got? You don't want a tag team? Don't think you read it, Vince. Oh, okay. What's in the box? What's in the box? Mech Cadet U number two. Ooh, you know it. Uh, takes place immediately after the first issue, written by Greg Pak, mm-hmm. illustrated by Takeshi Miyazawa, yep, yep, and yep. colored by Triona Farrell. Uh, Stanford U who was picked by a Robomac, um, comes back with the team to uh, Skycore Academy and basically has to convince mom that this is a good thing. That, uh, you know, I yeah, I'm a janitor. Yeah, I'm your son. This has been our lot in life, but... The mech chose me, and um, and we're not even at war anymore. And this is this is fine. This is all. Don't worry about it. You know, it's all just, gooch. Exactly. Um, mom's a little apprehensive, but uh, trusting the uh, trusting Captain Tanaka and and uh, and knowing her son is going to do. What's best uh, for people? She reluctantly agrees, and and so he begins his training. Uh, everything about you is is great. I, I like the other two cadets that um, that he's working with uh, because the uh, you has decided to name his mech Buddy, also on his team. Uh, are Big Red and Thunder Wrecker. And uh, there are a bunch of good kids, and, and everybody is uh, doing well during their training. But the uh, there is somebody who was in the first issue who I really didn't care for, and I still don't. And and General Parks is is the guy in charge of it all. He has a daughter. And the daughter scored top marks during the training, during all the written exams, and and should have been picked by a RoboMech. Uh, but she wasn't, which is fine for the general because they decided to introduce the first man-made RoboMech that she is mm-hmm. going to pilot. Uh, so Tanaka now. Which you know is going to go tits up. Oh, absolutely, and and so Tanaka now has to train four instead of three. Uh, Parks is she's 
she is definitely cut from that uh, that entitled cloth. That uh, yeah. it's it's just and it it's one of those situations where it it is almost if it wasn't for the art, if it wasn't for the for the story pack is telling, it would be very easy for me just on the park characters alone for me to say I think I'm I'm good with this book. I don't I I know enough about these characters where I'm sure it's going to end on a happy note, but I don't um. I, I, I could do without that negativity in my life. So the uh we do see by the end of the issue though, you know, the first issue, that uh she may not be as uh hardened like her father. Um Dad's a real dick, but uh and and she has her moments, but there may actually be someone human in there somewhere. So uh but the last page is is kind of a kicker because something's going on, and uh, which may cause mom to worry. But I thought the issue uh, where it where I enjoyed it, I thought it it worked really well. It definitely feels like those old Macross books from from Kimiko when they were re, when they were adapting the the Robotech Macross cartoon, and and uh, even um, what the hell was the uh, the one adaptation? Not, not is it Air? 99 it was it was but it was it was very manga it, it was adapted from um by Kamiko and and all um or maybe it was first but anyway it it just it are you thinking it, about area 88 yes i am uh-huh. thank oh, okay. you now you you say robotech you do know that miyazawa did draw robotech right he did a, it was like a dc thing Invasion. Oh, no, no, that I didn't read. I just, I, I did. Like, I didn't read. The it could have been Wildstorm. Yeah. Really? Wow, yeah. that late. Okay. But I, I, I want to hear Jason's thoughts. No, I mean, you, 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 you ended with my lead, which would be that um, I think that this comic is written intentionally by Pac to evoke the same spectrum of reaction that we would get from watching a an anime um and again i i i'm choosing my words carefully here it's it's this isn't to me a manga it's a comic meant to evoke an anime like with their reactions and the the, yeah. the pacing and the voice you could just see this being a scene from uh star blazers you know what i mean um I'm I'm not quite sure. There's got to be something going on with this "quote unquote" man-made mech, because in this issue, the mech doesn't do what you think it's supposed to do, and then they pretty much like shackle it, yep. almost crucify it, and then they drill into it, and its eyes light up like it's being, like it's pissed or it's being punished, and and the the, the pilot is aghast. So you just get the sense that that this mech has has got a mind of its own that's going to rebel. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think. There's a lot of tropes here in the sense that you've got the hero who is a bumbling idiot and you know that over time he's going to discover that he's in fact a really talented hero. Um, you've got the exaggerated, almost caricaturesque um, supporting characters like his mother, who's a cleaning lady. Um, but all in all, there's a lot of heart to the story. And I'm a sucker for mechs and I think the character designs are terrific. Uh, the the mech designs in particular and... Uh, and then you know, I think the the, the issue two reveal uh, the 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 crescendo uh, sets us up for what should be a pretty fun 
fun uh, action-packed next few arc uh, stories. Yes. Right? So, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I, I guess Pack is just trying to do his own version or love letter of, of this, this genre, right? Like, I don't feel like he's breaking new ground, per se, but not that he has to. Right. So. Neat. Surprised Vince isn't into it. I'm not a huge fan of Miyazawa's art. Too clean? Too runaways. I see runaways when I when I look at his wow. art. Oh, by the way, not for nothing, since you all got your haterade on this, this week. <laughs> uh, runaways number one, the, the reboot? Hell nah, son. Ooh. It's terrible. Straight up terrible. I mean, I know there are a lot of people that like bow at the altar of Krasanka, but I don't get it. Hmm. It's rough, dude. It's like straight rough. I'm sorry. <laughs> rough raggy. Don't be sorry about me. Be sorry for Marvel. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not I wasn't a fan of the Runaways title to begin with, but when oh, when me not when Miyazawa drew it, I just I'm I'm done. Mm. Well, you're wrong there, but yeah. And he did uh that uh Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane thing, too. Yes. Oh, that's the that that uh, Terry Moore wrote. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that either. Terry Moore wrote uh, an arc of uh, Runaways as well. Yes. Share the love. And uh, we'll share it too. Discount comic book service, dcbservice.com, where you can get all your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your door for a pittance, a small fraction of that cover price. Such as from uh, Image, it's the Gravediggers Union, number one, for $1.99. Kong on the Planet of the Apes, number one for the same price. And from Titan Comics, Minky Woodcock, the girl who handcuffed Houdini, $2.19. In your travels, big surprise, I would like you to pick up a book spearheaded by Mr. Craig Yo. This is called Haunted Horror, number 29. Why do I, why do I want you to pick this up? Well... As usual, it's loaded with great art. You get Rocky Mastro Serio, Warren Kramer, Howard Nostrand. I love Howard Nostrand stuff. Bob Frigioni's in here. High Fleischman. But hidden, nestled, uh, tucked in to the center of all this good stuff is a story called Dead Right. And who illustrated this story? Well... None other than Steve Ditko. Hmm. Yeah, it is a very disturbing story. Um, it's it has that Doctor Strange uh, magic sensibility with the with the smoke and the otherworldly stuff, but it's basically a horror story. And your your protagonist at one point gets disfigured, um, as in uh, Two Face. Half of his face gets all blasted and burned away and it's all wrinkled and shriveled and drives him a little bit batty so yeah very two-faced but ditko illustrates it amazingly like it's 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 one of those names where all you have to do is say steve ditko and you get it it was um published in 1954 in strange suspense stories number 18 so before spider-man B.S. That's the new uh, way hmm. you, you can uh, tell. 
But it, it's a great, great tale. And uh, $4.99 cover price. This issue also introduces a new horror host. A guest horror host named Dr. Odd, a.k.a. David O'Dell. And he is illustrated in full color in the uh, inside front cover. So, yeah, get this book. Get this issue. It's, um, it's just chock full of good stuff. Sexy. Slimy. The Nostrand story is amazing. Um, just get it. Haunted Horror number 29. Can't beat it. Can't beat that hmm. with a bat. Nope. All right. Well, I got something that um, would be AS for... After Spider-Man. Yes. Okay. At least after Steve drew Spider-Man. This is, surprisingly, hold on to your hats. This is Amazing Spider-Man number 32. Oh. Yeah. By Dan Slott. Colored by Jordi Belair. But art by the crazy, amazingly talented Greg Smallwood. Oh, it's my main. This issue was chosen because it is a done in one. Oh. It is uh it is all about Norman Osborne. Apparently, since I am woefully behind on my amazing Spider Man, uh Norman has for all intents and purposes been cured of being the Green Goblin. Spider Man or Peter Parker has injected nanites into his bloodstream, which fight, combat, and suppress the goblin serum. So he cannot transform. He cannot turn back into Green Goblin. So he um, he keeps trying uh, different levels of, of the formula, different, uh, different dosages. Um, nothing's working. He, he goes to see a, uh, goes to see a doctor. Doctor says the nanites are replicating faster than I can destroy them. Whoever designed them is a genius. He goes to see a psychiatrist, uh, with any other patient. Hypnosis could unlock a dormant persona, but I'm afraid your will is too strong for the process. And he goes to see an acupuncturist. And, uh, she says that, uh, Perhaps what you really need is something a little more unconventional. I've heard of a place, but I must warn you, it's not that easy to find. So Norman makes a trek, comes across, uh, basically it looks like the Himalayas, finds three gentlemen at the top of a mountain, Master Hawk, Master Ox, and Master Snake, and they welcome Norman to the temple with no name. Uh... So the fact that he has a a, a very strong spirit and, and very strong will to not only take this make this journey, but be able to see them and the temple, uh, there's something special inside of him. So uh, they show him the Emerald Oracle of Icon, and he puts his hand on it, which is supposed to show them uh his true potential has a uh he'll he'll his potential to be a protect a practitioner of the mystic arts and 
he trains and and he uh, he he clears his his body, his mind, his he's uh, he's well on his way to being the best he can be. Uh, and when he finally sees his uh, his spirit or spirit animal for him he's supposed to accept his destiny and and uh he says uh he accepts nothing he chooses his destiny uh and using all the uh the magic that they've been teaching him he summons spider-man to to this temple to destroy him uh that's really the only time you see spider-man so spider-man Angry Goblin, more or less, fight. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how the story ends, but at, at times, the story does kind of sort of make you feel just a little bit sorry for Norman. Uh, it's it's a pretty cool issue. Uh, it, it, it has that, uh, that almost annual type feel to it just because it's it's a story that takes place within everything else but it doesn't it's not necessarily part of 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 the ongoing continuity but considering whatever's been going on i I don't know if the nanites happened after the whole clone storyline if it was something else i but everything i needed to know is pretty much told within these pages so slot can still write a good story i I never doubted that i'm just not a fan of what slot's doing with spidey right now so this was this was a pretty cool issue. I, I would, um, if you are already reading Spider Man, you probably have already read this. I believe it came out last week, but mm-hmm. I thought uh, I thought it was uh, it was pretty nifty, and and Smallwood can draw the hell out of Spidey. Uh, but the uh, the action scenes between him and, and Goblin are pretty cool. I thought um, I it, some of it could be a bit predictable, but. I was engrossed enough where, uh, where I was kind of hooked and, and I, there, there were things that kind of gave it away as, as you read the story, if you were paying attention by the time you got to the end, but overall it was a pretty cool, uh, it was a pretty cool issue. So it was a nice, um, it was nice to read an amazing Spidey book for a change, but, uh, I would, um, I would definitely recommend this issue. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. Aside aside from Greg Smallwood, nothing you said makes me want to read that issue. <laughs> haters. Nah, well, I think you know it's we've we've you know Vince, you and I tonight we've we've talked about some highs and some lows and and yeah. since we've talked about some lows because we haven't been reading Spidey. If I can at least say that uh, here is here is a an amazing Spider Man comic that I read and that, and it's a new one and yeah. I liked it. There you go. Yeah. The, the, there you go. The love you take. Uh, <laughs> as a tie-in to my interview posted today, I want to have everyone in our travels check out Mr. Miracle number two, if you haven't, uh, by our man Tom King and our man Mitch Garrett. It's uh, it's freaking redonk. In this issue, recall after the first issue, uh, Barda and Scott Free were called by High Father to the table because there's a war going on. In this issue, we see and are reminded, frankly, what an absolute badass Scott Free is. Yes. Um, 
you know, we know that Orion is the tough guy and Scott Free's kind of the happy-go-lucky guy. We forget that Scott was raised on Apocalypse. Dude is a fucking beast when he needs to be. And uh, we see that in full evidence uh, via Mitch's cartooning in this issue. Do, uh, basically, Scott is being sent place-to-place uh, place in rapid succession to wreck shop uh, in the name of the war. And he's just, just bowling through opposition like it's a fucking joke. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it's a very layered story. We, uh, it, it's a little more straightforward than the first issue. And, and, and again, in the sense that it's, uh, it's him and, and Barta fighting the war. We do see them interacting with Granny Goodness and wow, does Tom do a nice job of making Granny Goodness just a, uh, a deplorable character. I mean, she sees them and she embraces them like a grandmother would with love and affection. Yet, we're, that's juxtaposed against the stories that they're relaying to us, that Scott and Bardo are relaying to us of their childhoods and being tortured and starved and beaten by her. So talk about a twisted sense of uh, morality uh, that goodness has. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, this is the second of 12 issues and it is... Uh, it's it's something else. It is the book you should be reading if you want something epic from DC versus say the metal book because that is a mess. <laughs> Keeping it real, dude. Have you did you read number two? I, I sadly read number two. Yeah, I did. Bro, I'm I'm legit confused. I think because we didn't read what the hell is it Red Death or whatever the hell I the, read that uh, too. The first. Oh, did you? I didn't. Yeah. Yet, but okay. Yeah, I, I I had some things written down for metal number two, but I, it was not. Um, it really wasn't. Uh, I mean, Batmanium, really? I mean, really? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, no, I that mean, is. Come on. I mean, and and the Dark Side Baby looks absolutely ridiculous. Ridong, right? It's, it's, I know. I'm. It's again, still the art betrays the story. It, it's not doing. It, it, it the art is not getting across how how important this this whole thing is supposed to be. And and I'm not a fan. I don't think it's a good look when the sons are as. I mean, it's cool for Batman to to be the badass and and talk down to his teammates. But when you have your sons doing it too, it's like, dude, you, you haven't you haven't earned that. And, and and I mean, yeah, I get it. You're supposed to all be acting like Batman and and throw throw the rest of the league off. But it's like it's like that that kind of shit coming out of Nightwing's mouth. It's like that's just it it don't it don't sit right. Plus, I mean. I always find that that one of the the tougher things DC has is when they try and portray Batman and Superman as equals. And the problem with that is is ever present in Metal 2 because Superman gets duped and we're supposed to assume that that's because Batman's so smart, but like then he's like hearing his heartbeat, but then he's punching the dude in the chest because he knows it's not his heartbeat. It just doesn't add up like Oh, you're right. Like, Superman finds this Batman because there's all these fake Batman running around, and Superman's like, dude, we're brothers. Yep. I've known you forever. I can tell your heartbeat from a, from someone else's. Then, like, three seconds later, he literally punches through Batman's chest, <laughs> through his heart, and then says, well, I know this isn't your heartbeat. Well, then why did you fucking come down and find him then? Like, if like you thought that was Batman three seconds ago, which is why you were down there. Now, all of a sudden, it's not. Like, it just didn't... 
I mean, far be it for me to say I understand Batman continuity better than, than Scott Snyder, but <laughs> it just didn't add up. I've known you forever, age. even though I've only been here from my earth for a year Right, and a half. exactly. Right, exactly. So it's a mess. <laughs> it is kind of a mess. Listen, it's a mess. I mean, <laughs> listen, I mean, we are very pro DC right now relative to Marvel collectively as a show. And that's fine. They're doing better work than Marvel is right now in the aggregate, but uh, <laughs> I, that. I haven't used it in a while. So yeah, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. But but metal's a mess. It's a mess so far. I mean, we're two issues in. It can it can rebound, but it's a mess. The Gestalt was fun. It was, but this idea that because Batman got sent back in time, back in the day through the dark side beams, and suddenly this this bat this bat god has been plotting to use him as a portal all this time, and then he has to be exposed to five different metals, and then the fifth metal is Batmanium. I mean, come on, yeah. dog. It's a little Zelda. <laughs> it's nonsense. Yeah. It is. But you know what's not nonsense? The very fact that we will be back next week. Same, oh. same metal time, same metal channel. Um, sorry. Uh, and would you please join us on the Facebooks in our 11 O'Clock Comics uh, group? We have a website, Kickin', with interviews being published by Jason. And, and Vince. And uh, soon, yeah. Uh, 11com we're on the Twitters, and you better get your fannies back here next week, because if you don't, David's going to get all bent out of shape, and we can't have oh, that, yeah. because he loves you so much. In the meantime, say goodnight. David. Wow, that was weird. Why? Good night. Ethan. Why was it mm-hmm. weird? It was just like, yeah, I was, I was, was trying to do like a whoosh, like a Pink Floyd going from one. Yeah, it's not going to work. But anyway, uh, well, shout outs to Pinkie Pie and Chris P for being our most recent patrons. Wow, they got two. Uh, we, we, we did that while he was out. Sweet, thanks, dude. But it's all good. <laughs> no, I'm glad. No, no, I'm glad you did. I, I'm glad that we are four point eight percent away from t- from six episodes a month. Wow. Hopefully maybe this weekend they'll get the bonus episode for this month. Yes. Even if Dap and myself have to do it. And video's coming. Yes. Yes. Wow, that was cool. All right, everybody. Back next week, because we love you. Maybe even oh, sooner. And, and remember our patron challenge. Yes. Patrons, come on the site. Tell us the three creators from the Artist Alley list that you would most like us to talk to. I don't think Dap heard that part either. He didn't. That's why I'm throwing it out oh, there. Oh, okay. That's all on Jason. That's his thing. He came up with that himself. I put my thing down. Yep. And I laughed at it. Well, he probably it. did it so this way you would, you would know to get bumpers at the same time. Oh, I get tons of bumpers. But yeah. this is the bumper king. I am. Bumper king of Hackensack. Vince, I'm so excited to take you to a flea. Oh, can you imagine? I cannot wait. Like a flea that you haven't been to before. Right. Yeah. Right. Now... You know that I'm going to be stopping frequently. Bruh, we're good. All right. Well, what we got to do on Saturday? Seriously. Uh, nothing. I'm just going to have to get a big old garbage bag, fill it up with we just, dinosaurs. All we got to do is spend time with each other and our friends. That's right. Plastic dinosaur love. So much. Mm. 
We love you guys too. Come back next week and say goodnight. You're dead. Peace. No, you. You can say oh, peace out. Later. Peace out. Oh, Jesus. That's getting cut. <laughs> you did that on purpose. <laughs> Stop. Each other we